0: You know, this past week, I can't say it's really any great surprise. We've spoken before in this room about how in bear markets, and I believe we're in a bear market, you typically see countertrend rallies. We've had John Roque, who's a friend of this room. He's been in the room, and uh, we've cited his study many a time. Going back to the 2000-2002 bear market, where over the course of two and a half years, NASDAQ fell 80%. However... I believe 47% of the days were up days. And John pointed out that I think there were 15 counter trend rallies of 10% or more, 10 counter trend rallies of 15% or more. So, you know, I wasn't um, quick enough on my feet to call the market bottom in mid March. I did not. Uh, I tend to be more of an intermediate term investor. I'm just trying to stay with trend. And I'm a big believer in relative performance, which is why I think really one needs to. Listen very carefully to um, the way David approaches markets because it's very consistent with the way I approach markets. But this counter trend rally uh, is very interesting. One of the things I like about getting squeezed is you see what the other side what the other side has, and you know you take some piece of garbage like uh, Robinhood and they jam it from ten up to fifteen or sixteen, and then oops, and then down she goes again. So you lose up you use up a lot of the buying power in these counter trend rallies. And you kind of define where the resistance is. And so once it rolls over, you're free to go back and attack as you were before. So I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but um, we had this we had this, you know, I think it was 17 percent counter trend rally in NASDAQ over was 11 trading days or something like that. It's over. And at the same time, this is occurring against a backdrop of uh, macro environment, which is really changing day to day, week to week. We'll talk later about a really interesting piece that I read from um, GavCal Research. I want to save that for a little bit later. But I observe we have rising interest rates. Notice the 10-year yield hitting new, fresh, local highs on this move. Despite all the armchair uh, economic geniuses who are blathering on uh, in the public square about the flattening yield curve and how it's going to give, give a recession I can't tell you how many reports I've read where people say, oh, rates have to go down, you got to buy bonds, blah, blah, blah. And as I've been saying consistently in this room for months, I disagree. So rates going up, the dollar making a new local high, oil prices coming off, but still very high. So we have the triple demerit scenario of higher interest rates, a higher dollar, and higher yields. And all things being equal, which they never are, that's unambiguously uh, negative for risk assets. So I will continue to take, to take the over on interest rates, the over on, on on the dollar, and the over on oil prices, and the under on Kathy Woods, consumer discretionary, financials, technology, and the market generally. So I, I just think there's there's you know again the oft-overused phrase I keep keep referring to it. To me, the equity market represents Return free risk. I happened to be uh, earlier this week. I was invited to uh, speak at Georgetown in front of a uh, class of students. that was standing room only, and it caused me or forced me to condense my thoughts in a more succinct fashion. The uh, YouTube video, the video of that, is up on our uh, YouTube site, which we just put up. Last weekend, um, I think the last show we did was last Saturday with Stan Weinstein. But we now have um, a YouTube channel up. It's called No Bull B U L L Market Talk with George Noble. I want to give a big shout out to uh, Carol, Jack, Andrew, and R J. Uh, the would this not would be not would be would not be possible without their help. Um, They have tirelessly um, put in a good effort to get to make that YouTube channel possible, as well as, as you're aware, we launched a philanthropic endeavor uh, last weekend as well. Uh, Carol Strohn will be speaking about that a little bit later on. But essentially, you know, I think I mentioned this was coming, but I'll I'll be more explicit now. Um, You know, we provide this for free. There's no personal benefit here. I'd like to continue to be able to make it free for everybody. I think we are providing the best content, period, on Twitter, Fintwit, anywhere. Um, I tweeted out something this morning. It was remarkable. I just kind of towed it up back on the envelope, a list of people that we've had in these rooms the last three or four months. And this blows away anything you will find anywhere. I was having a conversation yesterday with someone, and they asked me, George, what would it cost to recreate the Fidelity Research Department? And I said, I don't know, $100 million? The other person in the conversation said, no, $150 million. Well, we're delivering to you a Caliber product, which I actually is better than the Fidelity Research Department, but leave that aside. And this, you're getting this for free. Uh, and I've had some nice comments on Twitter, on the YouTube channel, thanking us for doing this. But the way, what I would like for everyone to do, I'm doing this for no personal gain. I'd like everyone to pay forward. Um, we have selected... A charity world central kitchen carol will talk about that later and there's a link um on our youtube page as well as on my twitter feed and carol's twitter feed to give to world central kitchen they are really doing god's work it's just unbelievable carol will share some stories with you later and so rather than charging for this site we're harnessing all the good work that people like Dave Nikoski, Stan Weinstein, you know, Michael Belkin, Michael Green, just go down to the list, John Roke. And I would hope that everyone would reach in, reach down and, and give generously to World Central Kitchen. Give back. Um, and so I, I, I can't implore you enough. The other thing I would just say in passing in that regard, uh, I'd ask everyone to go to our YouTube channel and please subscribe to the channel. Um, that will help us a lot. Uh, We need to get up to, I think, at least 1,000 subscribers. I think we're up to 280 now or something like that. So, again, I can't urge you strongly enough to give generously to World Central Kitchen. And please, please, please follow us on YouTube. All right, enough of that. Now let's go to um, the issue before the house, the matter of the day. We're very fortunate to have David Nikoski here. I've known David, um, again, since the early 00s, I believe. Middle, I can't remember exactly what year it was. Used to be, you know, it was a client when I was running my hedge fund. Um, David uh, is, is represents is 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 a chief investment strategist for Vermilion Research uh, out of uh, Minneapolis. Um, he's well known and well regarded in uh, professional circles. Uh, Dave is a big um, proponent of relative performance. It can tell you a lot about what's going on, where the market's going to go, et cetera, et cetera. And I find his observations, his approach to be really, really worthwhile, uh, because I don't know about, about you guys, but it's easy for me to get caught in my personal thinking about what I think is happening or what I think should be happening, but nothing focuses the mind better than a graphic depiction of what actually is happening. David provides that perspective. So, um, as is usual, David, um, the floor is going to be yours. Let it rip. Talk as long as you want. Um, I'll follow up with some questions. And then we're going to have Carol speak about Central World Kitchen for a little bit. And then we're going to open up the floor to questions from the audience. So
1: without further ado, David, the floor is yours. Welcome, David. Good to see you. Thanks for the intro, George. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, uh, speak, to uh, speak to the room. Um, I'm just going to go real quick about a little background inf- information. You, you know, I, I started my career... Um, marking up charts in the 70s by hand because we didn't have PCs back then. Um, my father, who was a well-known technician, Edward Nikoski, um, I learned under him, he was formerly worked with Steve Luthold, which is a name that, you know, if you've been around for a while, you know who he is. Um, so we, we started Vermillion back in 2005. Um, and what we look at is we look at the market from a top down and a bottoms up basis in terms of sector performance industry group. We have our own proprietary product that measures relative strength. Um, we were one of the early pioneers back in the seventies, um, to, to, to do that. Um, and I, and I think it's, you know, it does add, as George said, a completely different perspective to what is actually going on in the world. And it's, it's literally building a giant puzzle, um, uh, to determine where money flows are by by tape action, um, I, I think that when we look at this market right now, uh, you know what what we're seeing from our side of the table is uh, absolutely inflation's taking place. I, I hear a lot of people trying to call oil top and um, commodities tops. You know that's typical at a at a secular turning point. Um, we've gotten accustomed to ten years where oil has been down, and and now we're starting to move higher. Uh, some of the arguments that I hear on that, you know, when we look at various sectors, you have technology roughly over 30% of the market. And it was, you know, much higher at the, the actual peak when, when all stocks were rising versus the, you know, top 50 tech stocks. Um, just to give you a little perspective, you know, right now, energy is 3.9% of the market. Um, in 2006, it was 9.8, 143 on three nine of oh nine, um, so you you could considerably have a double and and marginally get to what what the median is over the last forty years. So keep that into perspective um, when we're looking at this market. I would agree with George um, from the perspective that I think tech is done. I think the financials are showing a wipeout. You know the Fed's going to start uh, tapering the balance sheet. And, you know, right now, when you look at charts and, you know, I'm a chartist, so I'll, I, I kind of like to look at a chart and go back and find a story on, on you know, issues that are breaking out or an in industry um, and, and do some research on that, you know, to provide that fundamental backing for why the chart's doing that. And when we look at, you know, ETFs such as MBB, which is mortgage-backed securities, we're not far from the 0809 9 lows. Um, you look at LQD, corporate bonds. You know, in a straight dive down, um, HYG, JNK are are showing much the similar patterns. You haven't taken out the lows yet, but it's more than likely that that you will. I I think we are entering into a recession. I think that commodities will continue to outperform. Um, I I think hard assets are are the things you want to own here. Looking around the world, there's a lot of attention given to the U.S. dollar index. Realize the index has not changed in 50 years since since its inception. So you you have what I would call is is we're all focusing on an index. And much like the S&P, it has survivorship bias. You have less than 50% of the stocks in the S&P 500 today than you had in 2000. So it, it truly is survivorship bias. The same can be said about the U.S. dollar index. It, you know, the U.S. is the strongest house in that in the neighborhood of all the constituents that are residing in the U.S. dollar index. I, I think there's not enough attention paid to what's happening outside of it. And I'll give you an example. When you look at Brazil, you're breaking an 11-year uptrend in the U.S. dollar versus the Brazilian real. real. Um, again, it's a commodity country. You know, what I'm noticing um, from our work is, is that you have significant amount of uh, emerging countries that are commodity rich, be it Indonesia, Brazil, South Africa, Peru, Chile, Australia. That in Canada, that look absolutely fantastic. It's remarkable that you know, despite the sanctions on Russia, we, we actually have the ruble is actually taking out the the, the pre-war um, levels. Uh, you you've had a considerable gain in the ruble. There is demand for commodities around the world, and that's what's what's driving the inflation aspect um, to to the market. Uh, I, I think the un- unfortunately, I think the Fed has got themselves into a bind, and they're going to have a difficult time selling mortgage-backed securities when they're at their lows. Um, it's telling you no one wants to buy them, and they're probably going to drive prices even lower. And that that would be my greatest concern is that we're going to have a correction in the real estate market, it's going to be considerable, but we're going to see it on the back of higher rates. Uh, When we, again, looking at this market, you know, I look at a chart of Goldman Sachs or Citigroup or the KRE index, those are not healthy. You know, usually when you see that in the brokers, they're, you know, they're usually the first to to peak out. And And I think there's evidence there that there's a canary in the coal mine. When you look at the London's metal exchange and their activities of, Uh, halting, you know, nickel trading. Um, They're begging the the EU for capital to continue to uh, hemorrhage even more. And I I think that's of great concern to me that when you look at oil, it's in backwardation. Everyone got it wrong and they were getting it wrong prior to the Ukraine-Russia crisis. I think there's much more to go to the upside. I think that what we see from, and not to get into politics, but from what energy company CEOs feel about the administration. They're not too eager to to turn on the spigot. I think that when you look at drilling from 2019 to present, realize 2019 was not a good year for energy companies. Drilling in the U.S. was down 43% right now as of about a month ago from January of 19 levels. So well before COVID. And again, the sector was already going down. Worldwide, you had um drilling down just about 30 percent um so you know that causes great concern to me as a technician and looking forward that you know what we didn't drill last year or the year before is what's going to haunt us in the next two years uh in january 21st of 2021 we we published a report saying that we think we're entering a secular bull market our group was did the same thing in late 2002 prior to the big run-up in energy um, prior to the move above $40 a barrel. I see all the same circumstances happening. You had uh, 389 tankers that were scrapped during the, the low points of energy in the last two years. Um, it takes 9 to 15 months to build a tanker. You have dirty tanker rates breaking out to new highs. You know, when you look at Europe, and and again, going back to that U.S. dollar index scenario, when you look at the... the currencies that contrive the uh, U.S. dollar index. It's it's the euro, it's the yen, um, it's the British pound are, are the main weighting. You can see what's happening to the yen. Um, Japan is is a country that doesn't have a lot of commodities. Um, they import most of their their oil and natural gas, um, much like Europe. Um, UK natural gas is up 20-fold. Europe natural gas is up 10-fold from the bottom. We're up just slightly over six fold, they cannot compete. They, they cannot build anything. They're shutting down zinc smelters, they're shutting down aluminum smelters, they're shutting down steel smelters. They are doing everything they can to to attempt to at least diminish uh, energy consumption, especially when they can't compete on a global basis. Uh, I think that you know when you look at what Europe is gonna need due to these sanctions, I think you're gonna see bulk rates actually move higher. Um, They're going to have to import a significant amount of coal. You're going to see that ag stocks are going to continue to move much higher. Um, That's based on fertilizer. I think one of the best countries that you can can look at in terms of commodities and uh, agriculture is actually Brazil. So it goes in line with what I'm seeing in terms of the Brazilian real uh, inflection versus U.S. dollar. Um, You know, there's a a big move to move to electric vehicles. Um, when you look at lithium, uh, it's up almost two th- 2,000% since 2014. Uh, just in the last 12 months, up 465%. Nickel's up 98%. Cobalt's up 83%. Uh, it's going to take a massive amount of an, a capital to, to search for this. Uh, most of you may have seen the tweet by Elon Musk suggesting that he was going to start a lithium company Uh, And he tweeted that out yesterday. There's a severe shortage of the very things that climatologists want us to do. And it's actually going to consume a lot more energy to find it. Um, I I think that's the, uh, you know, the double-edged sword. You might get what you want, but it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than you're willing. And the results or impacts uh, of looking for it is going to take actually more energy and a lot more uh, crude oil and natural gas to find it. So uh, I, I'm, like I said, you know, I, I think that uh, staples and utilities are attractive. My, my concern about that is when you do enter a bear market, as Hannibal Lecter o- often says, you can only live off of relatives for so long. And that's, that's my concern there is that they're starting to show patterns that are depictive of runaway um, parabolic upside move chart. So the the panic is growing in the marketplace, uh, in in terms of finding safe havens. And again, I, I think the energy and commodities uh, are going to do better. They will be impacted if if we have a meltdown, um, but I think that's the the, the place that's going to hold up much better um, going forward. Uh, with that, George, you want to do? Yeah. So, or... so
0: so 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 that's that's thanks for that, uh, Dave. That's a really. Concise, uh, tour de force, unambiguous. It should be very clear to anyone listening to you what's on your mind. So let's back up for a second, David. What year did you enter the business?
1: What, what, David, what year did you start uh, in the business, please? I I actually was marking up charts back back in 1980 and doing it by hand. And I was in you know uh, I was doing it for my father who worked at Piper Jaffray. Um i did i did uh you know work with him for many years and uh in 2005 left and and started vermilion got it so
0: what i wanted to ask you is from
1: your perspective
0: because you've seen some cycles what are the most important changes that you observe and how's how have they impacted the way you approach the markets i mean Still, the name of the game is to buy low and sell high. Or if you're a relative strength guy, you'd say buy high and sell higher. But when we talk about the increased volatility, the incredible speed of the moves, the fact that we've really not had a proper bear market, we get these sharp declines and it rallies right back up again. How have you adopted over the years in terms of the way you approach things? Or has it really just been sort of minor tweaking
1: around the edges and your basic MO is pretty much the same? Yeah, you know, we don't focus on as much on, you know, trade entry in terms of, you know, day to day. So we're not short term market timers, we're looking for, you know, longer term inflections, you know, realize that a, a chart break in a two year uptrend, or a two, a, a two week, you know, downtrend, for instance, is not as important as something that's breaking a 10 or 12 year downtrend. Um, and, and I think, you know, we were early on the on the fertilizer call on uranium, we were marking it up, you know, 18 months ago. Um, and they were secular changes, they they weren't uh, uh, something that was just developed only because of Ukraine and Russia, you could clearly see that there was inflections and in, in the long term charts of, of, you know, those two industries, well before there was any issue, um, you know, regarding a, a, a war outbreak. So, you know, looking looking at the market now, you know it's it's when you get into you know much more volatile times, you're going to want you know to to own things when they pull back to the uptrend, uh, if they are indeed in secular bull markets. That's you know the safety net. Um, you know, look look where the 200 day average is. When when I see charts 20 to 25 percent above the 200 day, I have no problems telling someone to take some profits. And you know, if they like the like the name, like the industry. You know, come back at it when it's closer to the two hundred day. Um, we've done
0: yeah, a lot so, of, yeah. So let's just let's just jump use that as a jumping off point. So broadly speaking, I have a very similar worldview to yours. Okay. Having said that, the energy stocks have come a hell of a long way, um, but as you rightly point out, it's not just Russia. Russia was kind of like the icing on the cake. These stocks would perform extremely well for quite a long while. I know uh, your statistics, by the way, on the percentage of S&P you account for by energy were really insightful. What I want to add to that is whereas energy might be 3.9% of the S&P in terms of market cap, if I'm not mistaken, it's about 65 or 7% of earnings right now. Okay. And, and that's going to go, uh, sorry to bring the fundamentals into it, but uh, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day, because as we know, the energy stocks sell at a big discount to the market in terms of valuation. And so... Uh, when you take that into account again they could probably count for almost as much as seven percent of S P profits. And prospectively is that mark you know markets live in the future with energy earnings growth set to wildly outpace uh, market earnings growth if, if market earnings are flat or down a little bit, maybe even up a little bit. let just they're not gonna move that much. And you stop and think where oh, energy prices if we just have energy prices sustained at these levels for a year, what energy earnings will look like in twenty twenty three. I mean yeah, you can conceivably we had energy being, I don't know, 10% or more of, SM, of, of S&P profits, but yet it's only 3.9% of S&P market cap. So, again, the point is not one of accuracy precision, it's one of accuracy. So, coming back, David, so right here, right now, okay, great. So, you can take a victory lap, you nailed the energy trade and the agriculture and the fertilizer and all that kind of stuff. But these guys don't, everyone else in the room doesn't know you from nothing. Okay, so say you're going to a client for the first time, you're not a genius because you got it right, you're also not a dope because you got something wrong right here, right now. And you're only as good as, and again, it's, I'm not, it's not like, you know, we're not looking for a tip here, like what to buy, what to sell. You've made your, 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 your views broadly uh, concerned, uh, clear, but from a sort of timing or tactical standpoint, you know, if you went to a new client and you don't want to blow them up the first week and they say, Hey, you know, I got, I got hundred million bucks to invest. What would you be telling them to do here? Wait for better entry point because IE is overbought; it's too much yeah. above 200 MA. And you know you can't short Kathy Woods and all her related stocks because they're down too much. Like, what would you be doing right here, right now? Or do you think discretion is a part of valor, and you would only wait in wait in yeah. slowly? What, what would you be doing?
1: Great question, George. You know, I I would I would say continue to buying energy stocks. Um, when you look at when you look at it, you know, most of the stocks, I mean, you you take even a name that's run up significantly oxy petroleum, you know, it's not even near it's, you know, it's highs back in 19 when oil was trading 60, you know, less than $65. Um, We have oil considerably higher. I do think that, you know, there's a possibility that oil pulls back, but I I think that they have the wind at their back. Um, You know, a hundred companies declared bankruptcy and, 2020 you had 30 companies in the energy sector declare uh, bankruptcy last year it, it, the, the same thing that is that occurred in 1998 is happening now back in 1998 you had oil that you know went below eleven dollars a barrel every magazine cover came out and indicated that uh, you know oil would be ten dollars for the next decade um, most of the most of the companies in the energy patch if you were a CEO you didn't want to expand. You just wanted to pump and maintain the, the wells that you had. You're seeing that same thing. There is a shortage of parts out there for the energy companies. They can't get casement, um, to put down in the wells. So you have, I think all of the ingredients that you had back in 1998, uh, on a quiet night in, you know, 2000, you could hear a sucking sound from the East and that was China. I think your sucking sound right now is coming from India. And when you look at India's market relative to ours, it is significantly doing much better than what we are doing. Um, so I, I think they're going to continue their, their uh, you know, imports are going to continue rising there. I think you're going to see more onshoring here in the U.S. because of the supply chain issues that we have. Um, but you're going to take a lot of energy to also transport the goods to Europe that they are not no longer getting from Russia.
0: So, 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 Dave, again, and that's a great answer. And, and again, the spirit of the room, in that we're always trying to help people teach them how to fish. You give them a livelihood. You know, as the saying goes, as opposed to giving a man a fish, you give him a meal. So, this 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 room is never, this is the first time, man. I, you were in one of my rooms a couple, like a month or two ago. And I don't think, you, I don't know how much you've been in these rooms, but, you know, we're not into giving pics. It's more just how to think about investing. By the way, I have to chuckle. You're in the upper right hand corner. If you look too over my co host, O'Hare, uh, he's a really good guy. He's an experienced uh, uh, finan- uh, portfolio manager. He's got that great cover for his avatar. It's the Business Week nineteen, uh, sorry, two thousand nineteen. I believe is inflation dead, um, which leads as Yogi Bear once said, "You can observe a lot by watching." Um, which leads to the question: What you're talking about? I just want to make sure everyone in the room understands this because I believe I got it. I want to make sure you're, you're, we're all clear on this. Your outlook is kind of like a secular structural call, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of in the same way. If you got the tech and the Fang trade right for a good number of years, you know, going back from the from 2015 or whatever it was, you could have milked that for for quite a while. Your call is really a longer term structural call. Is that right? This is not just a three month wonder. Do I do I understand you correctly?
1: That is absolutely correct.
0: So you know, there were some guys who just you know they bought Fang stocks and they mailed it in. I mean, without being too cavalier about it, if you just – and I see, I see uh, uh, Marcellus. By the way, you have to know, Dave, you're in Minnesota. How far are you from the Canadian border? Are you – Are you? how far
1: are you from the Canadian border, Dave? Well, eh, um, no, we're, we're, I'm far enough away from the Canadian border, um, All several right. hundred miles.
0: I, I just want to let you know we have this, these groupies in here, and I'm actually – even though I'm in New York, I, I'm an honorary member. We have them. We, they're actually you known as the Canadian oil mafia. Okay, And um, you may look down the third row. You see Marcellus keeps putting these crazy uh, things up there. There's a whole bunch of these guys. They've been all over the Canadian oil trade, and they've absolutely killed it for all the right reasons. And, you know, this is music to their ears. So I'm sure you'll probably get some questions from them later. But, no, I agree. This, this is a structural trade. This is a structural trade. Can we now go to the other um, end of the end of the playing field? So we're down at one, at the 10-yard line of the energy. Let's go to the other extreme. I've been calling out the long energy, and I just picked XOP as a placeholder for that, long energy, short Kathy Woods. And, you know, th- th- this market's sort of taking on biblical proportions. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. To me, I don't want to lead the witness, but to me, um, Kathy Woods and, and and all the assorted garbage, you know what I'm talking about, it, 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 it's the inverse. And to me, those look like just serial structural underperformers. And so I'm not taking a victory lap here, but anyone's been following me. I mean, I started mentioning this trade last summer. I think it's worked It's 150%, if not more, uh, being long XOP, short ARKK. Now, you don't have to pick those particular instruments. And by the way, Everyone in this room, do your own work, do your own research. David's recommendations, my recommendations, they're not recommendations. This is just our own personal opinion. So we're not responsible for, you know, if you go out and you buy energy stocks this week and they correct and they have a big correction. Don't blame me. Don't blame David. We're all, we're, all, we're all you know, big boys and girls here. But David, what would you say to people who are um, you know, they 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 really killed it with long duration assets for a long period of time. And now with rising rate, I mean, you know, everything's wrong. The charts are terrible. They're breaking down. The macro factors are wrong. This tech is still widely over-owned, blah, 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 blah. So I know I'm asking you to broad brush it, but generically, what would you say about that part of the market, David?
1: I I, I think it's done. You know, I, you, you know, everyone wants to run into names like Amazon. And when you look at the relative strength of it, it's done nothing but go down for a year. Amazon's a delivery country company, 70% of, of what they do is delivery by truck. If they're charging Amazon Prime and, you know, having to deliver with today's diesel prices, um, I just don't, I, I can't fathom what, what the numbers are going to look like. The last numbers were brought out by Rivian. I don't think that Rivian is going to be able to get any lithium or any any supplies to build it. And you're seeing that even with the likes of Tesla who switched on the lower end cars to an iron phosphate battery in China, because there is no product for them to get. So I I would say, you know, pick your spots. There will be a bottom someday. Um, But if it doesn't have earnings, and if it's not consistent earnings, you know, the, the, the areas that, you know, people tend to go to in technology during troubled times is the IT service companies. Um, because they have a continuous revenue. Um, it, it's not going to fluctuate with cyclicality as much as a uh, semi-stock, um, Nvidia, uh, you know, it, it, if we have inflation, you know, uh, and you're 10% of, and, I, and I'm not a Bitcoin nut. I, I'm and you and I talked about this before I did this call George on gold. You know, I'm not a gold nut until I need to be. Um, and it's about trends. It's about inflections. Um, but, you know, when you look at something like NVIDIA, for example, and you, you don't have much mining left to do in Bitcoin, is, is that stock going to hold up if, if we, we get down to 3% of Bitcoin to be mined? Um, it, you know, that, that, that window's closing. Uh, it's, it's much like Gilead coming out with a, a, a cure for hepatitis. Well, what's the, what's the end game? Once you cure it, you aren't going to sell anymore.
0: Right. So, David, let's let's move a couple more questions and then um, I want to go to the audience. We'll have Carol Strong come in for a second, but a couple more questions, if I may. I look at oil and I look at rates or bond prices. I said earlier at the at the outset, and I've been saying this consistently, I'll take the over on oil and more importantly, oil equity, energy equities, whatever, whatever people are saying. I'll take the over on yields. So people say how oil's going how how high is oil gonna go? I don't know. Nobody knows. But a fellow Minnesotan, Larry Gentile, who you may know, who's a friend of this one, you know, he was uh, he, he was in the press this past week, I think in front of a UBS uh, uh, group, he thought oil was going to 200 or 300. And rather get caught up in, in what the price is going to be, nobody really knows. Point is it's going up, and it's going up a lot more than people anticipate. That's my own opinion. I have narrative to go with that. ditto on rates i can make a case where i think rates are going to go up a lot more than people imagine there's a sort of complacent view around the place well you know the yield curve is flattening and housing prices are going to start to go up at a slower pace because mortgage rates are going to go up and blah 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 and you know bonds are oversold you should be buying bonds Buy the dip Buy the dip and i'm like no everything I look at, fundamentally I can give you reasons why I think yields are going to go up a lot more. But then just fundamentally, again, look at the charts. Trade what you see, not what you think. When you look at the 10-year, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. When you look at the 10-year, or you look at crude, like, again, I'm not going to hold you to a single point estimate. Yeah. But just just, just order of magnitude, where could you see the 10-year going to? Where could you see WTI going to, David?
1: I I think On on energy, we're going to see it go higher than anyone can think possible. I mean, you're emptying the SPR. You have a shortage of diesel around the country. Austin Airport, you know, contacted the White House last week and said they were almost out of, you know, jet fuel. Um, You you have that at a number of airports. Um, When I'm looking at the 10-year, you know, you start to break through that 2.8 level. That's a secular downtrend. And and I I want to caution because, you know, Everyone's tried to call that secular reversal in the tenure, and it you know, and it depends on how line, how wide of a marker you want to use. But two point eight le- is is our level in the sand at which, uh, if if you proceed higher through that, um, for any amount of time, and when I say amount of time, I mean I need it weeks, maybe a couple months. Um, I think it's I think that it's a high likelihood that that will do a secular reversal. You know, when I when I'm looking around, you know, I'm seeing what the Fed has done and engineered this QE. And, you know, we, we that is not something that's been done before. It, it, it's new. It's a manufacturing of accounting. Um, an, an example, you know, Wells Fargo. One of the one of the things I learned from my father was, you know, in the 70s, when inflation took off, you changed your accounting. You went in from first in, first out to last in, first out. Well, well, you know, WD-40 uh, reported the other day gapped up strong. it lost most of its gains or, or some of its gains during the day. They changed their accounting. And that is what I would expect to see is you're going to see companies that are seeing high input costs are going to change their the, the way they do their accounting and how they report it to the street. And you're going to see funds from operations drop dramatically in this cycle. And I, and I think that's what we're we're starting okay. to see as companies report. The, the, um, the,
0: David, you're, you're spot on. There's another friend of the, a good friend of this room. We're going to have him back in not too distant future. But Dr. Jim Walker, one of the best uh, guy, stride, economists, I should say, I know. He had a really differentiated way of describing the world, um, and he was talking about the ex post versus the ex ante world. In other words, pre COVID. Pre all this massive dislocation, we had, you know, well-defined rules of engagements and cycles and mean reversion, all this sort of stuff. But we're now in a much different world. We're in the ex-ante world. And the rules of engagement is much, are much different. And it's funny. He spoke about when he started uh, professionally in the 70s. He was working as an auditor. And it's funny to listen to your talk. He, he, talked, he spoke about exactly what you touched on. Uh, FIFO versus LIFO, that when you start having inventory profits or, or losses, they become very material. And the bigger point he was making was, given how much prices have shifted, how much prices have gone up, so many companies now, they don't really know if they're making or losing money, because they don't really know what their input costs are or, how, or what they should budget for their input costs. They're not sure they're selling prices, even if they're up, are they sustainable? If anyone wants to look at my Twitter feed <laughs> yesterday driving back from, from uh, Ned Johnson's memorial service uh in boston where um there's a nice photo actually of my feed standing next to peter lynch and guy Dulo. i stopped at a deli outside new haven connecticut and you should look at the feed it's i thought it was pretty funny but i have a crazy sense of humor and there was a sign out front it said 10 percent surcharge on all food items and then i go inside and there's a sign on the on the counter which says they've reduced the surcharge from 15 to 10 so I made this wise-ass comment, oh, well, that means we're actually having Delhi deflation because, you know, the last few months they reduced the surcharge from 15 to 10, so we've got deflation in the Delhi. So, you know, it was it transitory after all. But it's all a long way, of a smart-ass way of trying to come give you a comeback. I totally agree with you, with you on this inflation thing. And, you know, it, 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 that dictates a much different type of company that you want to own. I mean, heretofore, only a virtual company which had no assets, that was the way to roll. Return on invested capital was extremely high, but if prices are up and to the right, and you're a uh, price taker, uh, and you have to have the goods no matter what the price is, you actually want to own as companies that are asset heavy, and so that plays in beautifully to- fundamentally to your sort of technical observation as to what's going on. So yeah. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, David. All right, let's let's just stop right here for a second. I want to reset the room. We've got Dave Nikoski from Vermilion Research. Uh, I'm going to put in a plug for David. Didn't ask me to do this, but um, they, you know, they're they're widely followed by a lot of uh, some of the you know most high end institutional clients um, you could imagine. Uh, but they've got quite a number of clients, some bigger, some smaller. Uh, you know, I'm sure they will be happy to take on new clients if anyone's interested. Uh, I'll you can you can reach them either in, through Twitter or. His email address is Dave at VermilionCap. That's V-R-E-M-R-I-R, Vermillion, vermilion com. Dave at Cap.com. You know, and uh, he'll probably hit me for saying this, but I'm sure if you reach out to Dave and tell him you heard him on this space, he'll probably give you a deal, but whatever. Um, at any rate, so we're here, we're talking uh markets and relative performance with dave of vermilion research we're gonna go to questions in a minute but before we do that um if carol strone is in the room i would like for carol to come up and speak a little bit um about what we're doing with world central kitchens and carol um oh here she comes carol is um, a professional um she's got a lot of experience in um, the world of philanthropy and uh, uh, investment management, and so she's very she's very much in the weeds on this stuff, and she's done a lot of great work talking to World Central Kitchen and also other sources trying to get a handle on what's going on in Ukraine. And I thought it'd be really helpful. And Carol's willing to do it. She's one of the ones that's making this all possible to share what she's learned about what's going on in Ukraine and how we can help. So Carol, always good to Always good to hear you, see you, see, hear from you, see us so
2: Carol. the Before hey source. George, how are you? um good, audio. Go well, first it. of all i want to thank you for these amazing twitter spaces because i'm one of the ordinary investors in the room so i'm here to learn and your guests like david are just an extraordinary resource for me and an important part of my own personal educa- educational journey so thank you so much for everything you're doing um okay so on to world central kitchen and you can't really talk about world central kitchen without first saying a few words about its founder chef jose andres his story is the classic immigrant success story as a young man he moved from spain to the united states with 50 dollars in his pocket 20 years later he's an award-winning celebrity chef and restaurateur and if that wasn't enough then in 2010 he founded world central kitchen which provides food assistance to victims of natural disasters around the globe. First, he was in Haiti after the earthquake, then in the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Zambia, Peru, Cuba, Uganda, Cambodia, the U.S., Puerto Rico. So wherever there's a major flood, hurricane, earthquake, he and his team try to get there to partner with local chefs, farmers, other food workers to essentially feed millions of people in need in times of horrific food scarcity. So now they're in Ukraine in the middle of a war, something they've never done before, which brings me to the the heart of the story that I really wanna share with you all today. Um, Three weeks ago, I read a piece in the Washington Post in which the CEO of World Central Kitchen was, are you, uh, sorry, I'm hearing some bad.
0: Sorry, 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 sorry. (laughs) Carol. I don't know. Thomas, could you please hold on one second? (laughs) You there? Yeah, we're here. We're good. Okay. Okay. All right, Carol. uh, Carol, I apologize. That's some background. okay. Okay, Go ahead. So anyway, three
2: weeks ago, there was a piece in the Washington Post, and they were interviewing Nate Mook. He's the CEO of World Central Kitchen, and at the time, he was on the ground in Ukraine. He and Chef Jose Andres, uh, they'd been there since the day two of the war. And the interview, which caught my eye, was titled, Where is Everyone? And Nate shared in that interview how he was in Odessa, Odessa, and he'd expected to see a lot of outside international support. But instead, what he found, and what they've found pretty much throughout a lot of Ukraine, is that these cities and towns are largely fending for themselves, there are a lot of local volunteers a lot of organizations you know local organizations but not the usual number of organizations that you would expect to see and that they have seen in natural disaster situations so why was that i reached out to nate emailed him in ukraine never thought i'd hear back from him but he did write me back in the middle of the war and you know said honestly he could speculate but he really didn't know and he wished he knew so I decided to go ahead and get some answers, started calling around to a number of organizations that I've worked with over the years. Um, And it turns out, since all of us are now becoming armchair experts on on war, uh, that it's a very select group of organizations willing and able to operate in an active war zone. Now, why is that? Well, primarily, we can all understand its safety concerns And some are worried about exposure to liability, public backlash, if, you know, God forbid, a member of their team gets wounded or killed. And then, you know, consider the fact that Apple Maps, which Chef Jose Andres and the World Central Central Kitchen team have been using to navigate around Ukraine, kept sending them into Russian-controlled territory. So, I mean, the, the danger, of course, is very real. And these humanitarian workers go in with no weapons. Uh, they do have security teams, but but it's dangerous what they're doing, and it's also the logistics. You know, in wartime, charities can't send aid through the normal channels with ports blocked and roads being treacherous with bombings, and limits on fuel and transportation and volunteers. And plus, a number of organizations who I talked to said, you know, honestly, during COVID, we scaled down dramatically. Uh, and we haven't scaled back up yet. One organization that had a staff of 200, and they scaled back down to 40, and they're still in the process of scaling back up, and and they're one of the organizations that used to partner on the ground with World Central Kitchen. And then you have the fact that some organizations take the position that their mission is limited to natural disasters, and they don't consider war to be a natural disaster. It just doesn't fit their mission, so they're not going to go in. And then you have the, the very sad fact that a lot of charities are already stretched well beyond their limit. They're fighting hunger in Afghanistan, Yemen, Africa, Syria. And, you know, in Georgia's space last week, Stan Weinstein talked about the frequency and the speed and the intensity with which things are happening in markets. Well, you know, the same thing is happening with disasters around the world right now. Uh, and we are probably going to see some more Arab Springs and food scarcity is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. So in the end, it comes down to a very personal choice for someone like Chef Jose and Nate Mook and all the World Central Kitchen team to decide whether they're going to go into a war zone. And for them, it wasn't even a question. You know, they were going to go into Ukraine. And honestly, I'd like to think that I'd be brave enough to make that choice. But would I and how many of us on this space today would be? I don't know, something to to think about. And so all this is to say that World Central Kitchen is among the many remarkable profiles in courage in Ukraine at the moment. You've got President Zelensky, all the Ukrainian people, and these amazing humanitarian workers who are showing us really the best version of ourselves. So apart from that, George and I, when we were talking about what charity we wanted to suggest that people could get back to we also wanted to choose a charity that would resonate with as many listeners as possible we've got people literally in the middle east the uk uh, india calling in on these calls and i recognize the fact and so does george that charity is personal so how do we make it personal for all of you well in cultures around the world food forms the heart of a community and we're a community of listeners, a growing community. And World Central Kitchen seemed like the logical place to start. So that's, that's what I have to share with you today.
0: Thank you so much for that, Carol. And Carol, if you wouldn't mind staying on stage, please, um, because I, I, I'm sure that people probably have some questions or thoughts. I mean, you and I have spoken a lot, gotten to know each other in the last couple of weeks. And I just have to say, for those of you, I'll repeat what I said earlier, that there's there's a group of five of us. Carol's one of them. We didn't know each other um, two weeks ago. Uh, Carol and I both happen to be in the New York area, but I want to call out Andrew, who's in uh, Virginia, and uh, RJ, who is in, uh, I believe, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then Jack, who's up in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. We didn't know each other um, a week or two ago, but we've come together through this remarkable medium uh, of Twitter spaces and Carol and the others are all giving up their time as am I for no personal gain. We're just trying to give back and we ask every, all of you to pay forward. And so there's a link uh, uh, Carol and her Twitter feed and my Twitter feed. It's also on our YouTube channel. We've made it easy for you. Just you know, put your credit card in there and the money goes straight to uh, world central kitchen. There's no, No GoFundMe page, no middleman, none of that. And I want to, I'm not going to mention or embarrass people by name. Some of you have been incredibly generous, uh, incredibly generous, and you're on this stage now and you know who you are. Uh, I have, and and I can't thank you enough. And I have to tell you, um, there was one donation and uh, this person's on stage now. He, uh, He knows I'm talking to him. And I put this in my Twitter feed the other day. He allowed me to. Um, I redacted his name, but I put it in the Twitter feed, and it was true. I mean, I literally broke down and cried. He was so generous, and I asked all of you to to give similarly because what we're dealing with here, this is a first world problem. You know, how do we protect our wealth or increase our wealth? These are really this is pretty small stuff compared to what some of these other folks are going on. So, are dealing with. So I can't ask you enough to consider, especially, and look, everyone gives to their means. I mean, if you're a young person and you, you, you have a negative net worth, okay, fine, I get it. But, you know, if you've got a few hundred thousand bucks to your name, a few million bucks to your name, you know, Carol's a great wallet surgeon. She's made it easy for you with this link to World Central Kitchen. Just click on it and put your credit card in and we'll make it easy for you. And again, consider the value that you're getting from these rooms. I mean, again, I don't think there's another source anywhere on the internet period that who comes remotely close. Cause it's open architecture. I mean, we've got Dave, you know, Dave Nikosky, not to blow smoke up his backside or beneath him, Michael Cantor. okay. These are people that, you know, ordinary folks don't have access to, you know, it, 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 tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their work. And you're getting it for free here. I don't know. I'm starting to sound like one of these guys who's trying to hawk solicitations on national public radio or public broadcasting, but I can't say it strongly enough, and, and and I think we've raised, I don't know, like $15,000 now, something like that. We have a good goal of 200 I understand Rome's not built in a day, but one of the things, Carol, I've been talking about a lot is how do we harness the power of Twitter and social media as a force for good, and this is our attempt at it. And, Carol, maybe if you're still there, Carol, maybe you could just talk a little bit about you know, generally the problem. It's kind of interesting. That, I don't want to say we have first move or advance because we have no advantage. We're trying to figure it out, but just generally the, 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 the challenge that the traditional philanthropy has in trying to figure out how to harness social media because I know you had some very interesting co- conversations around around that topic.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to comment on that. One thing I wanted to say as well is, is why did we choose 200,000 as our goal? So I asked World Central Kitchen what the most amount they had ever raised from one online fundraiser was, and they said 180,000. So George and I, shooting for the stars, thought, okay, we can beat that. So I'm hoping we can. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got time. So that's one thing. And then second thing is, you know, George talks about a lot about the fact that technology has canceled boomers. Um, this is only my second time on Twitter. And when I've started to call around to a lot of the CEOs at these organizations who are boomers and or older, and they do have young people on their teams, tech savvy people, But they were sharing stories about, well, funny you should call because last night I was at a fundraiser dinner in Palm Beach and one of the things we were talking about is how do you crowdsource funding online? They had none of them, none of the people I've spoken to have even heard of Twitter spaces, so start there. We're at the very beginning of open architecture as George says, trying to figure this out uh, to see if the power of numbers can can make a real difference in, in a new technology. So does that help George answer
0: that question? Yeah. Thanks for that, Carol. Really appreciate it. Okay. So Carol, stay on stage. Um, Aside from the investment questions, anyone has a, has a philanthropy question or world central kitchen, feel free to, uh, feel free to chime in. Okay. So let's start off. We're going to go with uh, Marcellus and then uh,
3: storm city. Marcellus, good to see you. What's up my friend. Hey George. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to host today and David, uh, thanks for giving us your, uh, your time and your expertise. Uh, do appreciate it. And as George said, I'm sure you've made a lot of uh, new friends here in this room from uh, uh, guys that have uh, sort of taken that Canadian oil mafia moniker on uh, uh, proudly. Uh, I'm curious, and this is to, to George and David, um, the more things kind of move along here, the more it feels stagflationary to me um you know as we move down this path and i'm just kind of curious um you know what your you know both of your takes are on on that potential uh as we continue forward in this this cycle david would you like to go first on that david
0: uh, I don't know where, maybe I'll jump back in. So let me, let me take that Marcellus, and, and Dave Nikoski, please unmute yourself. I, you're, okay, yep, Dave, d- yeah, Dave, why don't you, have a, you want to have a shot on that first? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, just a, aside from George's deli comment, I had my son in the car yesterday, and we stopped at a McDonald's, and we both got a, a value meal. I don't know how they called it, a value. Um, it was 20 bucks for two, two meals. And
4: What? I don't wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 yes. wait, 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 wait. 20 bucks for two freaking value meals are you serious dave 1909 and there was no side items and those cool. were just the the i got a big mac a fry and a coke wait wait, 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 wait
0: i have i have a, my kids are grown now but does that still supposed to come with a toy i wish
3: it dead because <laughs> it would have been worth it
0: <laughs> george
3: right. I, I can attest to that he's dead on accurate it, that is <laughs> that is real what he's talking about in, in, right. in, part of it is the growing inflation, I, in, in, growing
1: inflation and wages. I mean, when you can't find employees, you know, you're it, the, guy, the guy behind the counter and no discredit to anyone based on age or age discrimination on this call. But, you know, it was a 15 year old kid and he just stood there behind the register. He didn't help anyone out. I was the only one at the counter. He stayed there for 10 minutes while they're getting my order because they do all the Drive through first, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, "Why isn't he helping out?" There's no one in the store, so it, 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 there's there's a you know kind of a, a bent to how I think in terms of efficiency in the world, and you know I worked at fast food when I was you know 15, so but I worked hard. I mean, I tried to help everyone out. I'm the guy that wants to make things work, and uh, it, it, it's just amazing because. You know, we're seeing inflation. You know, inflation through wages, and I, I've never seen a fast food restaurant go, "Hey, we're going to pay you fourteen dollars an hour." And inflation, you know, uh, subsides, and they what do they do? Change it to seven dollars an hour? No, it's never happened. So, it, 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 the wage inflation is here to stay, unless they lay you off. I think we're going to see a tremendous amount of layoffs when it comes to the housing industry. Um, I think the auto industry is going to see a significant, but it's going to make, you know, the internal combustion engine much more uh, effective in terms of delivering it versus the cost increases you're seeing in aluminum. Um, So I, I would agree with you. I think we are seeing the 70s just without the embargo at this time. You know, when you see headlines that, you know, Saudi Arabia is not going to take calls from. And the United Arab Emirates are not going to take calls from the president. Uh, I I think there's a a you know a view there that something's changing, and they have much more control over the world. The U.S. I would say, fortunately, we do have enough oil here. The problem is that we're going to be sending it over to Europe now, so we do need to increase that, and we need to increase it significantly to make that shortfall. Uh, you know, whole. Yeah, I, I I think that's very well said, David. I would add a few points.
0: Um, one, the whole issue of deglobalization. I think this is a new, a new factor that we haven't quite gotten our, our arms around. But the shortening, I think we're done extending supply chains. The reshoring of um, of, of some production means or shortening of supply chains that's going to bring with it higher inflation i hesitate to use the word stagflation because that conjures up a lot of visions or or, or meanings that maybe you didn't mean different things to different people as i recall the 70s yeah we had higher inflation we had slow growth we had high, high unemployment we have very low unemployment right now in fact we're at full employment employment fact, i can make the argument that you know we've overregged the system and we need to have more slack in the labor market. So, it's similar to the '70s, but it's different. I mentioned deglobalization. I mentioned the fact that we've overcooked the situation system and we're at full employment. Um, we've also had, and uh, this this buds for you, Canadian oil mafia and, and Marcellus. We've had we've had massive underinvestment in many extractive industries, most notably energy. And as we know, that that doesn't, that doesn't get kind of fixed overnight, especially when we've got ESG involved, which is another factor just making the whole situation worse. As the saying goes, the solution for high prices is high prices. But the ESG crowd is hell-bent on making sure the market mechanism doesn't work to solve that problem. I think we're going to need a crisis, actually, to change political opinion sufficiently such that some of this ESG stuff is, is is reconsidered, perhaps in a slightly slightly calmer calmer fashion. And so, I think there's a whole multitude of sect- reasons here why. Um, actually, in some respects, it's worse than the '70s. I've been saying consistently rates are going to go much higher than people imagine, and everyone that's sort of lobotomized, CMBC complacency. Well, you know, we got technology, and we got disinflation. And we got Amazon, we got the internet. How could you possibly say that? And I said, I've said this before in this room many times. Yeah, that's true, maybe on a secular basis, but cyclically, we can certainly have a little, you know, dalliance with inflation. But unfortunately, given the irresponsible, reckless policies of the Federal Reserve, And this gets to something that was, I think, mentioned yesterday in Michael Gaia's room with Jim Grant. I didn't hear the whole thing. But Jim Grant was talking about the complete lack of discipline, the excess, the reckless fiscal spending, the reckless money creation. They've they've let the genie out of the bottle. And I don't know exactly where this is going, but I will tell you one thing. I know you guys laugh when I say this. I'll tell you the one thing I guarantee you, guarantee you we're not going to get. You know, whether we get runaway inflation on the road to Weimar, or we get or we get a recession, because you know, this commodity prices and prices go up. My deli, the deli sandwich goes up so much no one can afford it anymore. I don't know. But i tell you the one thing that's not gonna happen. And that is Goldilocks is dead. Goldilocks is dead. There's an APB app for Goldilocks, and no one's seen her, and she ain't coming back. All right? And that's a sort of mindless. No, that's the sort of environment where, you know, you know, compounder bro on FinTwit with a freaking Sherwin Williams where, you know, input costs are low, they're jacking up prices because there's a housing boom, blah, 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 blah. You get multiple expansion. You you know the drill, okay? That type of stock, again, I, you know, it's a fine company and and I'm not current on the fundamentals, so don't come throwing tomatoes at me six from now once the stock is up. That kind of stock. You should you should run, not walk, as fast as possible away from that. And I'm kind of guessing. I mean, Dave, maybe you can look up the technicals on that. I'm sure you're going to say it looks horrible because of the relative strength, right? So the point of that is, when it comes to markets, rather than just getting a spitball session, you know, it's inflation and stagflation. It's this. It's that. To me, the market regime that we're that we're in, that we're that we that we're heading into at breakneck speed, speaks very much to what Dave was talking about. I mean, Dave, from
1: a from a sort of sector or factor. Uh, perspective i imagine you concur with that absolutely and i you know sherwin williams is well below the 200 day it, it has a hook on it but you know i think those are bear market rallies i would rather own um you know and here when, when the market goes into a recession his, historically you know I, I look through the consumer groups and see what you know people will tend to fix their houses you know home depot is better than you know you you, you look at the home builders it it's not as bad, but it's not great. I mean, a recession hits everything. And that's where I go back to, as Hannibal Lecter said, you can only live off of relatives for so long. Um, you will get sharp spikes, but you know, when it comes to, um, new automobile at, you know, an $80,000 half ton truck, people are going to fix their car. You go to an auto zone, auto zones at new relative strength highs. I mean, absolutely blasted out. People are repairing their cars. You're seeing that car, Car sales are down, they they don't have the parts to build them. People don't want to spend that money, let alone buy an EV where Tesla just raised the prices of it. And they raised it because of you know, good reason. Exactly, Um, exactly. And this goes back to when I was referring a minute ago
0: to Jim Walker with the sort of ex post ex ante world, right? The world as we knew it is gone. It's gone. And everyone that tries to like look at the market, well, you know, I mean, you know, I don't care that rates just went from like 170 to 270 in the blink of an eye. You know, inflation is at 8% and going higher. We're still pursuing wildly, recklessly stimulative financial uh, monetary policy. You know, they're engaging in open mouth operations. They haven't done anything yet. And unless Jerome Powell discovers his inner Paul Volcker, you know, Larry Jettle was saying inflation is going to 15% this month, this summer. I believe it. You know, put that into your dividend discount model. We'll see what comes out. I mean, you know, Tina, <laughs> you know, Tina, I mean, Dave, you got the numbers. I, I'm just a professional bullshit artist, okay? But like, you know, you, you'd be all these geniuses, like, well, you know, the equity, if you look at bonds and stocks, you know, the yield and equities. I mean, dude, what is it? What is it, Dave? Like a third of. A third of um uh, uh I, I got the numbers all mixed up now we know the 64 portfolio is dead but you know you plug in a 270 bond you know when you're doing a discount mouse at of 170 and you tell me what fair value is you put in a 370 i think we're going there all right yeah so yeah equities may look okay relative to the most most overvalued condition that bonds have ever been in the history of mankind we had generally had very much generational we had five thousand year low interest rates normalize this dude and tell me what
1: you think. David, thoughts on that? You know, the the other thing, George, sorry to cut in on you. Um, No. David, you have to understand.
0: understand. This is a great line. You have to use this. I keep saying it to people. People like the way I'm moderate. Don't interrupt me while I'm interrupting you. David,
1: you need to retaliate in kind. Jump in, please. The more the merrier. Yeah. You know, an article caught me the other day, you know, about this financial engineering you're seeing feds do. You know, the Bank of Japan owns 80% of the country's ETFs. I mean, you know, that's akin to General Motors taking all their profits and buying their cars to report higher sales. I mean, I'm just baffled at, you know, this financial engineering that they undertook to prevent a, you know, deep recession or a depression. And it's just going to result in the printing of more money. 100%. Okay, Marcellus, great
0: question. Hang around, please. Let's go to Storm. Good to see you, Storm. What's going on?
3: Hey, good morning, Mr. Noble, O'Hare, David, um, followers. I had two questions for you, David. Uh, One's going to be really boring, but I've always tried to wrap my head around the Swiss franc. The other question is going to be on the future of gaming technology, uh, maybe Microsoft's um, acquisition of Activision and Blizzard um. So, th- yeah, those are my two questions for you. I was just curious your thoughts. Like the Swiss franc, for example, we know currency is an unregulated market. Central banks, you know, delve in there. They, you know, they manipulate. But when you mentioned the U.S. dollar and the yen, and then I look at the Swiss franc and I look at Switzerland and I think about GDP, the size of the country, what do they actually do? What do they export? Chocolates and Swiss army knives. <laughs> I uh, just wanted to get your, your yeah. thoughts on this. I, I actually have,
1: you know, a, a funny story. You know, when, when Greece was going into bankruptcy, um, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what the heck do they make? Like, I, and nothing against the Greeks, but I'm like, do I have a bottle of ouzo or olive oil? You know, I, I don't know what they make. I don't know what the impact is on the world that they, you know, go bankrupt other than who's ever holding their paper. I mean, and that's what I think we have now. And you're seeing it in the commodity structure right now, whether it's nickel or palladium, people are getting blown out. Commodity traders, commodity firms, they don't have the capital because they bet the wrong way. And when it comes to Switzerland, I mean, you know, Switzerland, the the chart looks fine, you know, U.S. dollar versus Swiss. I mean, the U.S. dollar is gaining strength. Um, I, I don't make anything out of it, however, because like you, I can't, the only, the only thing Switzerland has going for it is you do have a lot of energy companies. And I, I traveled Europe quite a bit and spent a lot of time in, in Switzerland. You have companies like Transocean and a lot of commodities and mineral companies that have put their headquarters there and they're just renting a, a PO box because they are very generous in their taxation of companies. So, you know, I, I think that's one thing that can help them because they do have significant amount of uh, energy and material companies in Switzerland that are headquartered there. So they are doing taxation. However, it's much lower than anywhere in the world. So yeah. So, so, so Dave, let me just chime in on that. As our
0: Bitcoin Maxi friends would say, I think you really need to zoom out. And we didn't get into this yet. We will later. But um, there's a great piece I want to talk about from uh, Gavcal Research and some others written on this as well. And this has to do with the dollar and given what's happened with the russia sanctions and the fact that you know russians have, have, have bought a ton of gold they're being cut off from the swift system blah 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 you know the oligarchs are being cut off etc cetera, etc cetera. The, the the narrative basically runs well gee heretofore you'd have a lot of countries pursuing mercantilist policies or other economic actors like sovereign wealth funds or oligarchs they keep their money in dollars because that's sort of the world's um, operating system for, for money. It's, you know, as I, as I, I hate that phrase, the a shirt in a dirty laundry. But now all of a sudden you, know, you wake up one day in the Russians see that they can't get their hands on $300 billion they thought were theirs. So if you're a sovereign wealth fund or some billionaire sitting in Indonesia, the idea of keeping it in dollars maybe all of a sudden hmm, Wait a second. I don't know about that. And the problem is if you don't like dollars, where do you go? There is no apparent alternative, obvious alternative. You know, the RMB is not ready for prime time. Euro's got its problems. Swiss franc's tiny, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But so it's not clear where the money's going to go. But at the margin, there's going to be more money wanting to come out of dollars. Some of that will go into Swiss francs. Some of that will go into gold. Some of that will go into you know other hard assets, prime real estate, possibly or timber or God knows what. And so I think what's being lost in the in the discussion in the discussion of public square, again, go turn on CNBC. It doesn't matter. This is his consensus. You guys know I hate the Cartoon Network, but let's just pick on CNBC. And they'll breathlessly say, well, you know, gee, the yield curve is flattening and bond rates have gone up a lot. So the economy is going to slow. So that means bond yields should go down. And gee, it's inverted. And nine out of the last seven times this has happened. We've had a recession within six months and blah, 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 blah. So you should be buying bonds. They've been saying this now for weeks on end. And yet rates keep going up and up and up and up. And I've been consistent in this room and I believe that it can continue to go up and up and up and up. Why? Because policy is still wildly stimulative. Real rates are still way too low. And now we have this bigger tectonic shift that's occurring. The idea that if you look globally in terms of the architecture of the world financial system that maybe just maybe at the margin someone might want to own less dollars and own something else. Well, that means higher commodity prices. It means, which, which, by the way, you know, plug that into your idea of inflation. Uh, it, it means lower bond prices. And oh, by the way, do keep in mind, do keep in mind that you know, foreigners, the last year or two, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but foreigners bought hardly any bonds at all, or the, the amount they bought was down enormously from prior years. Oh, guess who the buyer was? Oh, it was the U.S. government. Oh yeah, that's cute. Yeah, QE. Yeah, sure, they're buying bonds. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. That guy just came on TV, that the Jay Powell guy, and he says now they're done buying bonds. They're going to sell bonds. ninety feet between roll off or selling ninety five billion a month. So let me get this straight: inflation is skyrocketing, real rates are still incredibly stimulative. Foreigners don't want our paper. They just read well. Maybe holding dollar assets is not a good idea. And the Fed, who was buying all these bonds, is now not going to is now become a seller. So again, to channel my inner Jeremy Irons from that movie Margin Call. So explain to me again why two why rates are at 2.7%, the tenures are 2.7%. Pretend I'm a small child or a golden retriever. So to me, talk about variant perception? And you gotta cut me some slack. I don't taking a victory lap, but I've been right on this. And for everyone who keeps saying it's oh, the bond's oversold, the bond's oversold, dude. On the way up, I didn't hear all the tech momos saying, oh, you can't buy techs overbought. You can't buy tech, it's overbought. So, like, run the movie in reverse. I think yields are going much, much higher.
1: Dave, forward back to you. Yeah, I again, 280 is my, you know, as a technician, I have to abide by rules. I'm drawing a, a trend line on it, you know, right around 280 if we pop up above that and we stay there for – you know, a, a week or two. I, I think we're going to see significant. I want to. I do want to add on the the Microsoft. I was asked about the Microsoft question, so I'll just touch upon that. I mean, Microsoft is a tech stock. You know, relative strength wise, it's breaking down. I mean, I I think there's hard assets that are much much better to own than Microsoft. The gaming space overall. You know, I spend little time just isolating just the. The gaming space but you know what if we go into a recession more and more people are going to play games because it's going to cost too much to leave your house that's the only thing i would say dave i have to ask you a question um because
0: i don't have a screen in front of me but but someone is direct messaging me D- can you pull up is this an etf what is VET? is that a stock or an etf oh that's vietnam right. etf I, do we i don't know that we want to, do we want to spend time on that it's a really really tiny one but is that What's the chart? Just could you? Or no,
1: Vermilion Energy. I mean, that's we're not associated with them, but yes, that I mean, I I've, I I've come across the chart and it does look good. It, it, it
0: does or does not. I'm sorry. It Does it does? does. Okay. All right, that answers that question. All right, let's move on.
4: We're gonna do uh, Jackson and then Weimar. Jackson, good to see you. And what's up? Good to see everybody. Good morning. I'm down at Augusta getting ready to go into the Masters, but I just wanted to chime in. I know Alan Levinson's in here. He knows what I'm harping all the time. And George, you've heard it before. Going back to what David talked about. This is all top line. I know I beat this dead horse, but I'm telling you right now, I'm at Starwood Capital and I can tell you I'm on the PE fundraising side. Everyone and their brother is desperate for yield in this environment. Typical end of cycle behavior and I can't do anything because everything is fucking top line. David, I'm telling you right now, I can get $1,800 for a night for a shitty, gorgeous room with South Beach, but you're, again, your experience has been dumbed down. I live in yeah. steakhouses three days a week, Levinson knows. What's the first thing the waiter tells you? Well, the kitchen guy's not here, etc. So all of this is top line. Margins and multiples are dead.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to touch off on what what George said, I I saw an article the other day. Um, I want to say the number was around 60% of funds have adopted ESG and are all underweight energy and materials. And I talk to my clients and they say the same thing. They own one or two energy or material stocks. Why? Because it's such a small portion of the market. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but if it's 3% going to 8%, like... You're going to sit there and dabble in tech stocks. Yeah, but Dave, 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 let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you.
0: Apple's what, 7% of the S&P? Yes. Okay, so Apple's basically worth almost twice energy. So they're more worried about what to do with Apple than they are energy.
1: That's correct. I just did a calculation before the call. The top 50 stocks in the market account for 54% of the market cap. If you want to talk about a nifty 50 environment, we're in it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and by the way jackson your, your comments earlier about energy i mean and, and david it, it, it's even worse like you look at the data some of the prime brokerage data and, and I, I wish jeff garbaz of uh, erlanger uh, works the filler Erlanger from quantitative partners he's usually in this room i don't see him right now but just mind-boggling the last couple of months there's been i think like net selling or shorting of energy stocks, like it's the only group. That's, it's the group which has been the best. And if you're telling me, like, you know, all the analysts are getting inbound calls, everyone's piling in, you'd say, okay, you know, at the top, of my life and times by George Noble to Dave Nakoski, right? But no, it's exactly the opposite. They're not. They're not drinking the Kool-Aid. They're not. So this has got a long, long way to go, in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah, oh. it's it's much like the ARC funds, you know, raising raising money when it's down fifty percent. Like that doesn't the bear market's not over. I mean, oh, totally, you you can't keep, even keep taking in funds when you're down totally.
0: There. I mean, I mean, I mean, Dave. As the saying go, what is it? The lesson shall be repeated until learned. These guys haven't gotten the memo yet. So anyway, all right, let's move on here. So we're gonna do. If, if anyone's got questions, I see some friends in the house. I see we. Oh, we got to get Mark Newman up here. Hold on. I see Cantros hiding in the third row. So is Sohe. We got Alan Levinson in here. We got Schmuckatelli. We got Andrew in here. We got so many good people. L'Enfant all come up. I was hoping to do a war room uh, sometime later this week, but if L'Enfant or Schmuckatelli just want to give us an update about what they're seeing, that would be great. Um, So the more the merrier. So let's go to Weimar first and followed by Mark Newman. Weimar, good to see you. What's up?
5: Hey, George. Uh, and a shout-out to the Canadian Oil Mafia, of course. Um, well, what I hear um, sometimes is people who actually believe the, the BLS figures uh, on uh, unemployment. And um, what I believe, especially in the market coming, is that you have to dig deeper in numbers. Um, of course, if you're just a day trader, that's a different, a different way of thinking. You just chase whatever goes up or down, whatever. But if you look from a long-time perspective, as I do, I think it's important. Or if you would, you know, short something then that you really have to research. So I find it amazing that people believe the figures of their own government statistics, Because I hear someone say, yeah, in the summer it will be 15%. It already is 16.5% if you believe the shadow stats. And that's, well, I've been following these numbers for for two decades. They're pretty solid um, because they uh, keep the basket fixed. Uh, So if you look to the inflation uh, chart, you're comparing apples with pears because um, every year something changes. With the CPI, lately already uh, changed calculation. So, if you if you want to, to to compare apples with apples, you have to look to fisk, f- fixed basket. Uh, and um, I can be a bit technical, but but I think there are probably a lot of guys getting it. Same with unemployment. I hear it's you know maximum employment. No, it's maximum unemployment. It's 25 percent real unemployment, because in the U6 they don't count people who don't look for work anymore. So the great resignment, if you if you look to the website shadowstats.com, I really recommend it. So the, the, the thing with maximum un- unemployment is, is absolutely bullshit. So what I think is that the problem isn't there aren't enough people, but there aren't enough people on the right place and i think what we ex- can expect are markets that are extremely inefficient by all kinds of things like esg coming price controls all these kinds of things so i think the if if your time frame is a little bit longer than a day then you probably um, think very very differently about the what is coming, and I think if you look how fragile the international monetary system is, um, you you probably get more of a 40s scenario, not a 70s. And uh, well, at least that's my take. And you know, it's it's always easy when, it's like selling, you know, when everyone when, when is rich, that's easy. And, <laughs> It's it's much harder than to sell in bad times. It's the same as with buying, what you're gonna pick, and 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 then you ca- you cannot trust um, uh, these numbers, which are you know with hedonics the inflation and unemployment. These are very important things. Um, the, I also think it's important to understand. And this I don't. It's not not me bashing America. I I, I love America. So that's that's not not the issue but if you look to america like an emerging economy you know an emerging market then things fall into places because it's pretty normal there that bonds go higher inflation higher and stock markets plummeting and um, that's normal in in those conditions and the problem is, I find many people guessing. You know, uh, there Tina. There's no no alternative. Then I think, well, you have to get the he- your head out of the sand because it goes slowly, step by step. Everyone thinks that you know, this, this, tomorrow it's uh, uh, it, it, it's about tomorrow. No, the, the dollar not not being so so dominant anymore. It's not about tomorrow. It's about slow changes. And the other thing is it's black swans we have many black swans and these things um how the policies react on it are constantly making the system more inefficient and i think people stop should stop you know talking in black white terms more in 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 how it slowly goes into one more inefficient direction and i think with energy it's you know it's it's very interesting and also with hard assets and uh, I, I also I saw it coming and I was you know two years ago I went into it and I, I saw uh, uh, yield curve curve control coming I saw many things coming because I'm I have a longer timeline and and I you know I have time to think about this but if you just you know day trading you have a totally different perspective on things and I sometimes find that day traders are, you know, pretty dominant um, and that, that gives that gives a bit like, you know, whatever the market sentiment is, but if you want to look ahead, you have to dig deeper. You you, you don't need only to look to graphs, you know. Like what AB was saying, you have to, to to research. You have to, you know, what's happening on the ground, what's really happening. And 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 what these numbers are, if, if there are job reports, what kind of job, what quality, which age, you know, these things matter. So this is not a time to only look at graphs. This is, this is time to look at fundamentals because they're coming back. And, of course, there's a big fight against these fu- fundamentals, but the fight becomes harder. And, um, and I, I mean, Biden, he said, you know, um, uh, Powell will you know who, he, he's the one he will uh, do inflation but there is a, a hidden a hidden threat that if he doesn't then then the politicians will do price controls they don't work i know but they work if done short before if you oh, fix yeah price. so
0: so so so, 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 so that's that so,
5: what I was what a, what yeah,
0: a was a yeah weimar brilliant love 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 what you say um Really appreciate comments. Do you have? A, is there a question you want to ask Dave? Or I mean, it's fine. Yeah, you don't have to. I wait. want
5: you to to ask how he thinks, how, how he how he if he looks back in financial history, um, how he thinks that the 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 forty scenario is op is an option, and how he thinks that maybe um, uh, the the Fed won't uh, ask uh, collateral, so it's a kind of. Um, uh, QE by banks, maybe a possibility, and um, maybe even uh, the Fed buying ETFs. If if the if the if if the whole stuff comes comes to down too fast, that's that's a question. And the other is how he thinks about the my emerging markets idea. That's that re- that, we, that the, the dynamics have changed. And the- Excellent,
0: perfect. And- All right, Varma, that's great. So, D- Dave, uh, please unmute yourself. You got that, Dave? I don't know where he is. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the part about, um, Hey, I mean,
1: there you go, David. There are a whole bunch of questions. You hear that? Dave? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my, my career is on technicals and not, you know, looking at what the government does. I certainly do enough reading. Um, when you, when you talk about the forties, I, being that your name is Weimar, I assume you're the Weimar Republic. Um, you know, and maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, you're, um, wrong. <laughs>
5: okay. you're wrong.
1: All right. So, you know, there was some comments out of Germany that, you know, if they continued with these sanctions on energy and that type of thing, that they would be back at the Weimar Republic. So that's why I, I, I jumped to conclusion. So you know what the uh, definition of assume is um, I, I wouldn't doubt that the, the fed is trying to engineer, a, a soft landing and they're trying to keep the spreads of the twos and tens apart. Um, and we'll know, you know, months from now, we we'll, we'll, we always find out after the fact of what, what finagling they're doing. Um, in, in terms of the emerging markets, like I said, you know, you can pull up the EEM index. The problem is it's, it's heavily weighted towards China. Um, there's a number of emerging markets that look great. Guess what? They're all commodity oriented. And that's, yes. that's giving me, at least a a degree of of, uh, enforcing what my view is in terms of the inflationary standpoint. When you look at, you know, I I look at currency crosses. Again, the U.S. dollar index, you're comparing it to all of the worst countries in the world right now. Whether it's Europe, whether it's UK, whether it's, you know, the Japanese yen, they own 80% of all ETFs. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, Africa. I mean, you look at the gold stocks in Africa, they are absolutely on fire. The only place they're not on fire is here in the U S and I think everyone's focusing too much on that U S dollar index to determine inflation. I think that's what's holding gold down because again, we're the strongest.
0: Yeah. So, so let me, let me just add to that. So Weimar from and by the way, Dave, just, so you know, Weimar is one of the smartest guys that comes in this room. He's actually Dutch, but he causes trouble by having this Weimar name. So you're not the only guy. He's confused. All right. Well, we're, I'm we're, sorry. We're, I apologize. Yeah, no, we, we <laughs> so always laugh fun. at it. We love well having him in here. Um, so, so, so Weimar. I would just say, when you talk about the '40s versus the '70s, I think when I what comes to mind, I think what you're getting at is the emergence of the dominance of fiscal policy over monetary policy, and so that if we get a situation where is increasingly use of fiscal policy to sustain economic growth, take most recently what's going on with energy prices in Europe and other places, we have governments now offering checks to offset the higher uh, cost of energy you've seen it in various european countries i think in california they're doing it they're sending gas taxes here there and everywhere so you get this situation where the 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 the, the, the higher inflation is actually subsidized by further government uh, fiscal policy yes it could look very much like the 40s and so you will get this increasing inflationary spiral um And so, yes, I I completely agree with you. Uh, It's entirely possible. Um, I don't like putting words on things because people, words have have different meanings to different people. But if you're just talking about an environment where inflation is higher than lower, where you want to own, where, you know, real incomes will be um, challenged, where you're going to want to own price makers as opposed to price takers, I think the investment strategy that falls out of that is pretty clear, without putting without putting a name on it. And so, but I agree with your point overall. And all of it comes back to again, no matter how this plays out, you know, runaway inflation, recession. You know, door number one is runaway inflation. Door number three is recession. The one door you're not going to get to knock on is Goldilocks. Goldilocks is gone. That's just not coming back. Thanks for that, Weimar. I really appreciate it, Mr. Newman, my friend. How are you? What's
6: up, man? Hey, George. How are you? Uh, hey, everybody. Um, really, thanks for having me here, George. And I tell you, this place every week, there's just something new you learn and a, a, you know a, a new great expression that you can just think about a lot. And you know, I want to just tie a couple things together here real quick. Weimar mentioned some interesting things, right? He kind of discussed the in the in the Employment stats, how the government's sort of crowding out the employment market, right? Because of the benefits and these kinds of things, they're incentivized not to work. I thought that was a really interesting point he made there. Um, and then he talked about also the import-export thing, right? Like the U.S. tries to export its way of life to everyone. But what really has happened is we've imported a lot of sort of third-worldishness to us. And he highlighted that. And it's super important when we talk about this inflation thing. But I I want to tie it together a little bit because, George, you and I lived through the 90s of Japan, right? And the one thing I will say very recently that's going on in my head is in Japan, it got to be so that they managed the assets, not the economy, right? So the Nikkei was more important, a a barometer of their policies uh, and – and, and not necessarily the economy because, you know, they pave the rivers, they, you know, tear up the rivers, repave them, build the streets, stuff under construction forever and ever. And so now I think we have to be really cognizant of that here, where it seems like a lot of the Fed policy is obviously to protect the assets, less about maybe the economy. And it's just like an ancillary thing if the economy works whatever, but they really want to protect those assets. So I think we need to think about that as things go forward. And I, I tie that a little bit together because – you know, um, and I, there's going to be a point here at the end. I just want to tie it all together. Um, someone asked me the other day um, about what if we just like lost 20, 30, 50 bips a day for a long time. And I definitely think the death by sandpaper type action that we saw in Japan in the 90s, right, George, is, is one glide path. I don't think it's the only glide path, but I think it's one glide path we can think of. And then. Now, now to sort of bring this all together, George, you mentioned that 5,000-year lows of, of bonds, right? You know the, But, I mean, look, let's talk 40, 50 years, right? What um, sort of early 80s, let's call it at least. And then the stock market, right, has been on that tear for, I don't know, at least 20 years. But whatever, we can play around with the numbers. But the commodity market, like we've discussed here and people are seeing this, if you think about how maybe bigger cycles run, and I want – this is sort of where I'm going to with, with, with David – the long-term, super long-term bond market, okay, 50-year, 100-year, super most expensive ever, whatever we're calling it, the stock market's pretty ridiculous, right? We've had two or three or four bubbles in a short time, which is parts and parcel with what, um, you know, Japan policy type behavior creates, right? You never fix the bubble. You just kind of short-termism it to death. So the question is, can the commodity patch now be that one to take the baton and in in the in the not we're not obviously near a bubble yet at all in commodities but that's sort of the broader cycle bonds are done game over and then so now here we are david the question is this with the markets here right the glide path of death by sandpaper that's one thing but the are we all talking about the gap risk here and when i say gap risk i heard david i thought you said 280 was your tech target in the 10-year I don't know. That seems a little like and maybe we think rates are going higher in general. That's the gap here. The gap risk, right, is that commodity prices really go bananas. And that's the opposite of the death by uh, sandpaper type downside.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
6: And and so I I just wonder on the uh, are we talking about a, a, a policy driven death by sandpaper versus, oh, my God, we wake up one day and there's Arab Spring food riot and all of a sudden. Gap risk everywhere on our commodities. That's I wondered if you had insight on that. And I generally think the commodities have the baton for a while here. Your your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and when I talked about the 280 is my level, that's the level at which you break the long-term downtrend. It's not ah, my target. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, yeah. you know I I would be in the same boat with what George is saying um, if we you know broke above 280. But you know you you. You know, looking at different trends, again, the longer the trend that you break, you know, something breaking a 40-year downtrend is much more important than something breaking a two-week downtrend. So if 280 is taken out, that's, I'm, I agree with George. I agree with George now. It's just that I'm a technician. I have to say, you know, this is my line. If we come up to 280 and back off, you know, everyone that's saying that there should be, you know, a, a bond rally is going to come in and say I told you so. It's kind of like calling that March bottom. You know, it, it, it's great if you can do it. If you're a trader, that's wonderful. If if you're in the view like I am, you you could, you know, play that rally or you could have just bought utilities or staples and you wouldn't have had to turn back, right? You you wouldn't have had to time it. You would have already been there. And that looks a lot better than what we are at now. You know, I I do think that if you have inflation, you know, the worst sectors to be in historically for inflation was utilities and staples. And that's why I go back to, you know, Hannibal Lecter can only live off of relatives for so long. It, it just you're, you're going to sit there and time, you know, two or three week extensions of relative strength and you're going to get, you know, knocked around and it's, it's going to feel like you're in tech. And that would, that would be my concern about looking at it. Dave, let me frame Mark's question a slightly different way. Okay.
0: I'm sure you've done the chart. We've all seen it. You see those, those long-term charts of uh, equities versus commodities. Yes. Okay. We know equities, you know, grow. So they should outperform over the long run. However, the rubber band has been stretched so far. And I'm not talking about on a quarterly basis. I'm talking like, you know, on a multi-year decade type basis, where commodities are so underpriced relative to equities. Doesn't it look to looks to me, let's talk about charts. Turn turn your brain off, okay? It's trade, yeah. it's not what you think. And forget about Mark's narrative where he's convinced himself, and I agree with him because we talk to each other all the time. Forget about right. a bullshit narrative. If you just take a look at the chart and you look at commodities versus equities, doesn't it look to you that, that chart's set to for a sustained period of outperformance and for the next few years? Yeah.
1: We are in a secular bull market in energy and materials. It is not cyclical. It is, it is a cyclical within a secular downtrend that's reversed. So it's a secular bull market. I think it's a number of years of outperformance. Oh, uh, hey.
0: just, just well, just a commercial message from our sponsors, um, Newman. I'm going to try a joke here. You got to help me. Okay. Um, so, so we, we 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 have a live trading room where Mark Newman's going to help you. He's looking for setups. And he's got his weekly options and he's got a discord for 99 bucks a month. So we had the pick of the week, so don't listen to any of that. bullshit Nikoski was talking to us. So, Mark, you got some picks for us, Mark? Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> um, <laughs> well,
5: <laughs>
0: um, now, Mark, real- I didn't try, I busted you, I busted on you, man, right? But, but, but the main thing is the real serious point I'm trying to make is that shiny object, the shiny object du jour. Whatever knucklehead thing is going up or down 25%. And then you got the Nigerian brothers coming on and saying, well, you know, I'm looking for the weekly set. There's a lot of paper coming in here. And blah, 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 blah. I think those guys took one too many hit to the head on the football field. But I digress. Um, I got to be careful what I say because they're bigger than I am; They can beat the hell out of me. And anyway, I mean, don't lose sight of the big picture. And nikoski has got it. You got it. Okay, that's investing. All, all this stuff on Twitter – is all bullshit all bullshit so anyway all right enough of my rant so we're gonna do, we're gonna do we're gonna do gilberto and trend trader gilberto good to see you man what's up
7: good to see you george hi david really appreciate your insights i want to provide one observation one idea and one question the first observation and uh, to, so, to to david I live in an emerging country, and I think what Weimer, Weimer said set the stage for what's going to happen. For The sphere of observation is that for each one of us who has access to market uh, brokers' accounts, and we can access many instruments to hedge ourselves, there's got to be, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who don't have that degree of freedom to hedge their wealth against inflation. But don't don't fool yourself. Everyone who is an active person in the economy is seeking ways to hedge themselves. And what changed for us are the degrees of freedom. Give me a second. Gracias, mi amor. So what's happening is that if you go to your local bank in any emerging country, and by the way, our populations as emerging countries overpass by far those of United States. They offer you dollars bank accounts and Euro banks accounts. That's your, that's your degrees of freedom and you can buy local real estate. So what's the observation is, is that everyone is buying dollars because their own currency are shed. And that's their first response. They, that's the first observation. Second, I said I had an idea. For my past experience in emerging markets, my idea is that the best trade will be long dollar. That's going to be by far this, the nature of the things that are going to happen because rates are going to increase, dollars are going to be in demand, and that's going to to affect the whole economy. The question I have is: What's going to happen to the U.S. economy if you add up these three, three situations: rising dollar, rising rates, and less employment? Because it's going to be harder for every everyone to start a new business, and of course, employment is going to go down. That's all. So, so but, you
0: know, uh, Dave, let me take that one because I know you're you're looking at the charts, I'm the one spewing out the narrative so that you can put an arrow with the chart. So, Gilberto, you, you, what you're saying just ties back into, you know, what we've talked about many times in this room, which is the triple demerit scenario. You have rising interest rates, rising oil prices, and a rising dollar, okay? That is bad for risk assets, period, all right? And so it leads back to the phrase I keep repeating, which is equities to me, risk assets to me, represent return-free risk. Return free risk. Little
1: upside, huge downside. David, do you want to add it at all? Yeah. I, you know, um, in, in times of uncertainty, everyone heads to the U.S. dollar. I mean, the war breaks out, everyone piles into the dollar. You know, at some point when that reverses, any foreign holders of U.S. equities, and we'll, we'll be, in my opinion, will be in the tech correction. Um, and let me give you a scenario, perfect scenario. So back in... Back in two thousand, after the bubble, the dollar remained strong. In two thousand three, you broke that uptrend. The U.S. entered a severe correction in all sectors. Um, during the technology correction, you could have bought an industrial stock, and you would have outperformed the market significantly versus tech. I'm just, I, I, and so when I when I hear that you know someone in foreign countries just wants to own U.S. dollars, you know that that's the impetus to, to me that that the U.S. dollar is obviously still strong, but when that reverses, you're going to take a lot of foreign equities, uh, uh, foreign equity holders that own U S equities out of the market. And when they do that, that's when I think you get the correction. That's much more significant. And it's across all sectors.
6: Hey, George, you got one more second for me. It's Newman.
1: Newman, you can talk with everyone. So, you want, man. so What's up?
6: that gentleman who was just on there speaking before David, I want to everyone to think about what he said. Cause it's super, it was super insightful and valuable. You know, when I talked to my macro guys for these past 25 years and I, I laid it out to them, I said, look, the the dollar and gold could be stronger. And he said, Newman, I hear a lot of your things about energy. I love that, blah, blah, blah. But I don't buy the dollar and gold stronger. And if you think about it in what that gentleman shared. And he sounds like he's from an emerging market, right, as he said Um and it just I'm
0: talking. just He's from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Keep oh, on. the
6: DR. Love the DR. What a fantastic place. Yep. Anyway, um, the you think about it, yen, euro, and and dollar. If we go from the one aspect first of like the army strengthens the currency, so to speak. If we're talking about a race to debase, you I would have I'd rather have the dollar over the yen and the euro based on army strength. Okay, um, and then if you think about it, as that gentleman pointed out. There's only a few choices, so the dollar will be the cleanest shirt in the dirty pile for a while, and alternatively, gold will be there, right? If not, everyone can get dollars. So that, so that trade, that is, is where, that is, is where, that is where gold and the dollar can do well. And, and I think that was super important what that gentleman shared, yeah, and, and I really and, thank him for that. And, and Mark,
0: totally, and, and and you know, as you and I know, um, correlations change over time, and and the trick is to. Figure out when it's changing, what regime you're in, and we've seen the dollar and gold prices already going up. So what you're yep. talking about is not some hypothetical; it's already happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You very cogently lay out the reasons why, and I personally believe it's going to continue to happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So yep. no, we're we're on the same page here. And again, to invoke one's inner Michael Steinhardt, I mean, I know Mark, you know this, but yeah, Michael Steinhardt always had this uh, had this line of it: perception. You know, what do you observe? What do you believe that? It's different from the market. And what Weimar was talking about, when you're echoing, we're talking right here right now about gold and the dollar, or you know, my point about rates continuing to go up much higher, even though the yield curve is flattening. I mean, it takes two to make a market. That's definitely a barrier of perception. And so I think mean, there's a lot of money to be made here on these views. And what I really like about what you're talking about and Weimar's talking about, and what I've been talking about, aside from the fact I love to hear myself talk, is that it is such a minority viewpoint. It is such a minority viewpoint. Um, you know, go back to the energy for my Canadian oil oh, mafia friends in the room. I see Marcellus can't. He keeps hitting the smiley button. Um, I say especially Marcellus. I mean, look at how lonely the journey's been. Even now, even now, people are still
6: like they're shitting on energy because He's George, the George, energy. the genius, George, the genius idea is to now redouble really hard on that renewable trade. That's so exactly. Broad. Uh, exactly so so look i have to uh, head out and do some things but i wanted to just say that uh, this room always continues to be just a a great spot to be in for a couple hours on the weekend and uh, on this esg subject matter there's a lot super interesting going on and uh i you know i think there's more to be discussed on this and there will be soon uh later george
7: george before newman goes i want to to share with him one one last idea and with everyone who's here I'm here. if you if you go to any source of info about how easy it is to buy dollars in emerging markets, you will amaze yourself how difficult it's starting to be. Banks are limiting the amount of dollars they are selling to common people.
6: Wow. Super I mean, so guys, anyone in this space, please understand how on the ground important that kind of data point is.
4: Yeah,
0: you're
6: yeah. never hearing that on CNBC. E- or yeah, CNN m- m- ever. Newman, Newman,
0: Newman, Newman, Newman. Let me interrupt, Gilberto, Gilberto. You're talking about it's hard to buy dollars in EM. So, some what Mark really wants though is a cross trade. It's hard to buy dollars in EM. Meanwhile, in the US, it's become increasingly difficult to buy gold. Can, how hard is it to buy gold in you? In, if you wanted to, in the Dominican Republic.
7: Well, we have. Barry Gold. Here we have the third biggest gold mine in the Dominican Republic, and we can't buy gold if we don't have a broker account and go to the GD- DLD ETF and buy shares. I think that tells you everything.
0: I don't think your daughter likes gold. At least that's what
6: I'm hearing from her. So, so this is so. Just so everyone knows on the space, this is audio gold. As far as I'm concerned, for the weekend, really. this is a hey, Newman. Is. Hey, and, and Newman. Newman. It, yeah, that's man.
0: always they say like one thing just one thing like you know if you just got one thing from the room this is it this is the money page right here
6: it is right there um anyway everyone have a fantastic weekend George as always love this place and I will thanks see Mark you come back a- anytime man. Always well thanks take care guys
0: all right so oh here um I want to turn it over to you for a second I mean you've been sitting quietly you're co-hosting with me any thoughts comments reactions and failing that who do we get up next to speak oh here for is
8: yours hey george yeah good morning guys uh, fantastic as usual a lot of a lot of good insightful things this morning kind of what i've been thinking as i'm listening to you guys is this kind of overriding theme of you know inflation asset prices you know gold prices um oil prices i mean food prices i mean geopolitical risks. all this stuff kind of this gels together and this is something we've been talking about george for months now on a lot of these spaces and what I like to see is I like to see more, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged to see more and more spaces like this discussing these topics. Because we went from a lot of spaces a year ago discussing just nonsense, yoloing, like you were saying, with, with all this kind of just, you know, um, COVID related stuff to now discussing the real issues, which is runaway inflation, government spending, those types of things. So I just wanted to say just real quick from <clears throat> in my mind, as I'm listening to you guys kind of talk about this. Um, you know, kind of three or four things, you know, overriding themes here, which is, you know, high inflation, runaway inflation, uh, you know, stimulated primarily in my mind by government spending, runaway government spending, unfettered government spending for, you know, literally decades now that's accelerated over the last, you know, three, four years. Uh, you know, keeping interest rates low, keeping the cost of money a very low, high leverage. Someone mentioned earlier about the fact that uh, consumers are better off today than they were, you know, in in past recessions or uh, past cycles where where we're heading into a recession. I would disagree. I would disagree. I think there's a lot more leverage in the system today. It's just been masked over. It just looks better. Right. It's the same pile of shit. It just looks better. And so I, I would just say, you know, the the pressures on inflation have been building and they're not just I think a lot of these spaces. A lot of people are talking about, well, it's just, you know, transitory because it's just supply chain issues. It's COVID related issues. While that's a a large part of it recently, those pressures underneath have been building for a long, long time. And so I would just submit to people that COVID brought out the inflation that was already going to, that was already bubbling under the surface. It it just brought it up. It just brought it up to the surface. Um, Now, putting that genie back in the bottle is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. And so a couple things are going to have to happen. Two or three things are going to happen, whether simultaneously or, you know, one at a time. But government spending is going to have to be reined in. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Taxes are going to have to go up to pay for a lot of these deficits. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So if government spending doesn't get reined in, and not just in the U.S., but just abroad in general, Canada, you know, Europe. I mean, somebody made a comment that you still have a lot of this uh, stimulus in Europe, uh, just unfettered stimulus just, uh, you know, keeps going and going and going and going. It's, you know it, it, we understand that this is not going to work it hasn't worked it's just kind of puts a bandaid over the problem which is again leverage and government spending right when, when and you could just print your way yep. out of it and so yep. you know i would just say you know we either you know taxes are either going to go up government spending is going to go down or they're going to just keep printing into infinity which means commodity prices are going to just balloon yep. 100%, so yeah. 100% 100% right here all right but so anyway it's, very interesting so it's 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 a great room that's great. So let's just do a quick reset
0: here. And I really would like to focus questions more to Dave Nikoski because we're very fortunate to have him. We can spitball all the yeah. time we want about macro, but um, yeah. I really would want, the, I, I don't want narrative. We've done enough of the narrative macro questions. If well, we could, if, let me no, ask you this,
8: George. And let me yeah, ask Dave. Yeah, go actually, ahead. Go please. ahead. Go yeah, on. let me ask you this. So uh, everybody talks about how this is kind of a, you know, um, if, you know we we all want to believe that kind of past this prologue that we can look back into the distant history and david uh, you do a lot of research on uh, you know on technicals and charging and so forth what are your thoughts on kind of we are in uncharted waters here so utilizing using past uh, experiences whether it be you know even as recent as 2014 2015 boom and bust cycle in, in uh commodities uh going back to oh eight oh seven the, the period between 2000 and 2007 in 2007 commodities and value stocks, value and commodities outperformed and then crashed. Um, those periods and many others, you know, I, in my mind, are a little bit different because today, as George pointed out earlier, you know, it's 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 uh, we're dealing with a whole different animal here. What are your thoughts on kind of looking back and utilizing some of that information to build your models versus kind of you know creating new ones based on the realities of today? Yeah. In other words, how good are those roadmaps, those inputs?
1: Well, you know everything's not always the same. So you can't find a perfect place in history that we had record low rates. We had a housing boom such that we've had, I mean, you know, the best example more recently would be that two, two 2003 to 2007. Um, and I don't, I don't know if he's in the room. I haven't looked, but I, I was at a meeting in Boston, you know, back in 2007. And I said it, you know, Fannie Mae's breaking a long-term uptrend. I said, it looks like they're going to get all under He looked at me straight in the face with expletives. If that effing happens, we're all dead, you know. Um, But I think that that period, um, I think we're going to see massive financial fallout. I think that everyone's positioned wrong on the market. Um, And when I say that, you know, there's always something, you know, where there's one cockroach, you're going to find a lot more. And I think that that period of from 03 to oh nine you know i couldn't have told you we were going to hit you know 140 some dollars a barrel but it was evident you know when oil was at 20 that you were breaking long-term downtrends and that was the time to you know do your shopping um and, with rates and going up
3: yeah
8: and david on that note i mean that's absolutely i completely 100 percent agree with that uh then you have to add in and kind of overlay the last, say, seven years of ESG booming, right? This lack of investment in the energy space, just in the, in the commodity space in general, whether it's mining for non-ferrous metals to precious metals to food and fertilizers, anything that was considered non-ESG friendly was thrown out. And so couple that with what you were just saying, because I think that problem now is compounded times 10. Because of that lack of investment, somebody I think it was you or someone else made a made a, a point that uh, you know when you look at the S and P 500, the broad market gauge, uh, and you look at the energy weighting, for instance, and in that it's less than three percent even today, even. Yeah, we just get off that. I think we were kind of like repeating ourselves here. I don't
0: mean to be rude, but there's yeah, another question. No, just, Great, uh, we're, we're yeah. kind of circling here. All right, so, so let's move on so quickly. So, so Jackson, if you had a quick follow up, I wanted to recognize. Jackson for a follow-up and Weimar for a follow-up before we go on to other questions. Jackson, you got a follow-up?
4: Yes. Just one quick one for David. Um, I know O'Hare seems to be the only guy (laughs) that I can find around here. I know there's a few others that are tired of this. The Fed can't, the Fed won't, et cetera, et cetera. At my position, I don't care because they're so far behind the curve. We're on our own finally. Do you agree, David?
1: I, I think we are so far be- behind the curve that it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean they would have to do QE again to save the market, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the line I keep using is they're so far,
0: and I was quoting this three months ago, <laughs> they're so far behind the curve they can't see the curve. And, you know, the Fed doesn't really do anything. They just <laughs> they just follow. I mean, the market's going to do it for them. So they can carry on with this open-mouth operations. The market's going to do the bidding for them. Thank you for that, Jackson. Weimar, 100%. You... I was yep.
4: just wondering, can you give my uh, mic to Alan Levinson? I don't know how to do that. Well, Thanks, I know. Guys. I, well, Alan's a very good friend. I'll get him
0: up here if he'll talk, but he's just a shy guy. So, uh, Alan's a really good friend. So, Weimar, do you have a quick follow up,
5: Weimar? Oh, well, uh, first, uh, I like the remark of uh, Jackson. Um, the other thing is, is uh, um, because next to my long timeline stuff, I, I'm you know, occasionally dabble a bit on the speculative. So my question is nothing macro at all. If there's some, if David can give his uh, quantitative um, short-term outlook for financials, because I think that might be very interesting. Uh, because uh, I'm I'm curious also about uh, if someone's in the room who can make a, um, you know, give share his qualitative uh, analysis on on the short term on the financials. Thank you. That that was my question.
1: Yeah, so I mean I'm we're we're underweight financials. I I don't like them. I, I think they're going to get worse before they get better. Um like I said, I, I believe that the Fed is is most likely trying to engineer, you know, the 2s and 10s spread to keep them positive. Um but again, when I look at mortgage-backed securities, ticker symbol MBB on an ETF for instance, again, you're you're getting close to those 2008 lows and guess what? We haven't seen any houses come on the market yet. Um, I, I think that's only going to get worse. I think that we're going to have, uh, again, some fallout by the brokers. Brokers are always the telltale signs that something's wrong. And you look at Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, or Citigroup, they were peaking well before the other financials. Remember, the broker, you know, the investment banks, they're the ones that do that paper. Your local bank you know is packaging mortgages and selling it to someone else right
0: and and, and david i remind everyone i've got a pretty good site on real estate because my partner is uh very much involved big real estate producer here in westchester and so far everything's really strong however i tweeted this out the other day um go look at my twitter feed i'll retweet it but one of these sharp guys was pointing to changes in inventories in certain markets um, where you have uh, more readily available supply. The problem with Westchester is just there's no supply. But in some of the uh, Sunbelt states, um, you're starting to see inventories uh, expand quite significantly. And that might be a harbinger of we're at a top or approaching a top. The other thing I would say, and Shrub is in the room. It'd be great if Shrub would, would, would come up and talk, but he had spoken a few weeks ago about how in Europe, um a lot of the oligarchs the, the the Russians the high-end Russian guys they're the ones that were top ticking everything and he had mentioned how all of a sudden like that stopped and so that may be sort of a shot across the bow so we may be on the on on, on, the, on the on the on the precipice of that so um so I see shrubs up now but before we go to shrub uh I'd like
3: Marcellus for a quickie and then we're gonna get shrub in here Marcellus you got a follow up yeah, just uh, you know, I you know David is is a long term chartist, um, and obviously we, we're in the same kind of boat as far as where we're thinking with commodities and oil. But if you look at that like twenty year chart on oil, I, I know we've moved up above the top of that, of that, that trend line, if you will. I'm kind of curious are your thoughts. You know, do you think that there's an impetus to possibly drop back down a little bit into into that channel, or all of the you know, all the current issues and and you know more say three to five year issues that we have right now are gonna support this continued move above that that trend channel. Yeah.
1: I you know, again, you know, when I call a secular bull, I, I think the long term trend is up. You know, my biggest concern is is that um, you know, on a near-term basis. I mean, I you could pull back to the 200-day on a, you know, market correction and, the you know, the belief that there's going to be demand destruction. But, you know, if you looked at the fundamentals and I told you, drilling is down 43%. When's the last time that's happened? And you're going to go back to 1998, okay? When oil hit $11 a barrel. If you're a CEO, you are looking to sell assets. And again, with so many companies bankrupt, you know, how many people in this room are willing to move out to Williston, North Dakota, to take a job in the oil field, right? Everyone's left there. They, they, they've already relocated their family. They're, they're not, no one's jumping up to get into the oil patch business because everyone believes it's cyclical because look what happened in 07 to 09.
0: hundred percent Dave. Now I believe it's cyclical. I know we've had, we have, uh, the Canadian oil mafia is not here in full force today, but, um, Maybe Marcel can speak to it or, or whatever, but the, the sort of shaming that goes on isn't—it's—it's it's like, oh, you're going to like go for a company that's got a carbon footprint, blah blah blah. So, no pun intended. It's just pouring gasoline on your fire. So, you're 100% right, um, Dave. I have a question for you, which someone else is asking, but they can't get their mic to work. This is a great question. I think you'll really be helping a lot of people in the room with this question. So, it comes from someone who is, I guess, a slightly less experienced investor. And this is a great question, Dave. Hey, George, thank you for the fantastic spaces. Could you ask Dave the following? How would you recommend a beginner learns about technical analysis? It is extremely difficult to find a reliable source, and it seems that people look at one chart and see different things. What would be one or three
1: topics or books or courses that would be the the right way? to learn it the right way. Yeah. So so, so that's the question. Well, there is an association called the MTA, Market Technicians Association, um, you know, that's, if, if you want to pursue a career in that, that's, that's, you know, the place to go and learn about it. it's a test much, you know, not as fanciful as the CFA, um, but probably some of the better books out there is like John Murphy, well-known, um, writes a great book, does a, a intra market analysis book as well. Pring is kind of the godfather of technical analysis, um, P-R-I-N-G-E, um, and you're right technicians will come up with different things. There's, you know, a handful of technicians that, that will focus on, you know, intraday trading or, you know, net the next move um, and not look at the big picture. Um, You don't have a tendency that, that some people don't see the same pattern. Some may see a pattern one way and some may see another, but they're, they're not getting the actual inflection of those lines. So they might decipher it and say, this is that support. And someone else says, this is a descending triangle, much like I'm looking at oil right now. The long term's intact. You could have a descending triangle or a, or a bullish flag. Now, I don't know which one it's going to be until it hits right. those so, lines.
0: So, yeah, so, so, so Dave, you say a good place to start would be to go to the, the MTA, the Market Technicians Association. That's That would be a great place well, to start.
1: if you want to get in the business, that's where you'd pursue to get your MTA Right,
0: and then some of the older classics like Murphy or –
1: Edwards and and
0: McGee or any of the other ones you might want to mention?
1: Yeah, Edwards and McGee is a a great book. Again, there's all kinds of different philosophies on technical analysis. There's not many. I don't know of a source that's written on relative strength like what I do.
0: Right, no. Okay. You you got the secret sauce. That's awesome. All right, let's move on. I want to keep the pace up. Weimar, if you
5: have a quick follow-up, I'll allow it. But otherwise, I want to go to somebody. Weimar, you got a question
1: for David? Bye, uh,
5: on the on the question of your uh, what was just uh, sent to you, um, I have just a, a general um, um, kind of rule. Um, it's better to not have one story based on one graph, but to have to try to find um, many graphs uh, from different angles on the same thing, and and like those i mean it doesn't only mean for technical ana- analysis but i think that's just a proper way because you have many people who look to one graph and they have some kind of narrative about it and then they you know they they you talk about inflection point but the problem is often that there are also other graphs <laughs> and if you don't look to them uh, you might see, come to different conclusions so i think that's that's well, just, you know yeah. just a general remark for that time.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. If I, if I can interrupt, hundred percent, hundred percent, That reminds me. Someone else described it the other way. It's sort of like if you're looking for, a, you have, a, say, you have a medical condition, you have a health issue, and you, 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 go from one doctor to the next, shopping for, looking for the opinion you want. Um, you can always find a doctor if, it, if it's knocking enough doors. You can always find a doctor that gives you the supporting opinion. Similarly, you always can find the chart that I'll support the opinion that you have. But that's not the way to run it. I completely agree with that, Varma. It's a great point. All right, my friend, Shrub. Yeah, Shrub, yeah, and- Shrub is one of uh, George. Sorry, go How's ahead. It yep. Good. Yep. So, Varma, if you could meet yourself, please. Um, so, um, Shrub, good to see I you. Just,
9: I just wanted to give you one data point on um, what you mentioned on the high-end here. So, I got a fresh data point, One very high-end villa. Uh, the discount to the... So he's a Russian guy trying to sell. Uh, the discount to the pre-war price is about forty percent. Super prime, very sought-after real estate.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Shrub, shrub, shrub. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You said forty percent discount to pre. I'll tell you the
9: number. So he wanted sixteen million euros. Yeah. Then he was gonna settle for thirteen before the war, and now he wants nine. Really? And there's no buy, and there's no buyers.
0: Now, and there's you, no what, buyers. Okay, 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 okay. So shrub, stop, 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 stop. This may be the most important. We had a great element that moment a few a few minutes ago with with Newman. This may take the cake. So it's gone from sixteen to nine with no bid. Now let me ask you a question. I know you don't know this property exactly, but sort of you know if you went so so so. Where would it have been, say, I don't know, six months ago, 12 months ago, two years ago, pre-pandemic? Is nine still a high price or is that kind of – have we got back to use a stock chart? we back to like the 200-day moving average. I'm trying to get a sense if that's still a high price. Um, I would say it would have gone for
9: maybe not 15, but 13, 14. It would, yeah, because we're talking about like super prime – Top, end. It, it would be like a Manhattan penthouse. What's the price of a Manhattan
0: penthouse? Yeah, right? no, I, okay, Same okay so, so you're so so you're saying pre-war would have gone it would have gone for for that amount, and now it's gone down to nine, and there's no. And I'll, is
9: that what yes, and the reason is if you look at the south of France real estate, and also in a lot of European centers, all the real there's a lot of Russians that own a lot of real estate there. So if I'm a buyer, why would I jump on the first? opportunity that's there right you kind of see that there's another 20 next to him so you might as well just wait (laughs) whoa and if you want to link it let's link it one second to the whole market so we have the high end getting hit on the low end we're getting the energy costs and we've you know i gave you the examples from on the ground Uh, you know people are getting hit 20% of their disposable income is getting eaten up by energy costs and everything else right now so you have the low end getting hit, the, the high end getting hit, and the ECB has minus 50 bips, uh, has negative 50 bips rate and does QE at the same time. So you tell me why on earth would I own the euro, <laughs> which is quite important to the discussion that David was saying about the dollar breaking out, because, you know, the other side of the dollar is the euro. <laughs> so...
1: Wow. Yeah. And that's wow. that's why I say, you know, everyone's focusing on the U.S. dollar index. It's compared to the worst places in the world. Exactly. It, it just it, 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 go pull up the U.S. dollar versus the South African Rand. The Rand has been strengthening the whole time. The Chinese won is stronger than the dollar over the last two years. You know, stop paying attention to the U.S. dollar index. We should be looking at the trade weighted dollar index. And that's still intact, but it's getting close to breaking a trend line which wow. would suggest that wow. that we're just ignoring everything and focusing too much on, you know, the survivorship bias of an yeah. index created 50 so, years yeah, ago. Yes, yeah,
0: so Shrub, let me ask a follow-up question. So that's a great anecdote, but then going to the spirit of Weimar, not just one thing. Okay, so this, this 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 flat, which should have been 15 million, 13 million pre-war is now nine with no bid. Okay, fine. So to me, that's kind of like, you know when you have a hot IPO, Shrub? Like, like, I know exactly like, you know, what you mean. <laughs>
4: like,
0: yeah, you know, you know, people put up, 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 and when the when the last buyer is filled, last order is filled, there's nothing behind it. <laughs> and so it's like the first guy wants to sell. So he's like, wait a second, what do you mean I can't sell it at fifteen? It just sold at fifteen. what well, about thirteen? No, 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 no. It's sort of like there's no the bid is way, way down. Does that make sense to you, Strom?
9: Oh, absolutely. And it's
0: it reminds me of the case where you know
9: they tell you, oh, you got to put for a hundred because. You know you're gonna get ten percent, and you put for a hundred,
0: and you get a full allocation.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but shrub, shrub, let me let me ask you something differently. So when you look at other high end aspects of daily life, there, and you're you're in Monaco, if I recall, yeah. Like when you look at like super high end restaurants or car sales or other flats, are you starting to see this type of behavior elsewhere, or is this just the, the, the very beginning? Um,
9: so, one private bank it's again a bit of a microcosm here, but one private bank had five salespeople. Two of them were dealing only with Russian clients and they froze 25% of their accounts, total accounts. So Monaco is kind of quiet, although it still has a lot of wealthy people from all over the world. But, you know, the Russians are have kind of disappeared. And what I'm hearing anecdotally is that they've all shifted to Dubai. So Dubai right now is booming, booming. Um, so you had shifts out of uh, Paris, uh, Monaco, and other places um, into Dubai and maybe towards Asia. So I think Singapore took uh, some money as well. So you're you're seeing you're seeing a
0: reshuffling of wealth in reality. Wow! All right. So so let's shift gears. So 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 Dave, you're still there. Shrub follows very carefully the funds flows data, and he's always really good. Every Friday he puts out the funds flows, whether, you know, guys are buying EM or the U.S. and selling tech or whatever. And, Shrub, maybe you could just talk about what's top of mind for you um, in terms of fund flows. I know you and I, we, we, we comment frequently on Twitter. You made the point, if I recall correctly, that it was kind of interesting. Money was going into emerging markets for the first time. But I, could you just talk – whatever top of mind. I mean, to me, to me, it's been mind-boggling that we've seen no selling to speak of in U.S. equity, plain vanilla, mutual funds. And so, whether it's that or or it's the money into EM, like like like, how when you look at the at the flows data this week, the last couple of weeks, what is top of mind for you, Shrub?
9: So the first thing I notice is that the U.S. stocks are still getting inflows. So we've been waiting for serious outflows, and everyone is saying, uh, you know, George, I, I I always highlight this with you. People say sentiment is bearish. It's like who gives a shit about sentiment if positioning is bullish? Then I don't really care about the sentiment. So. The inflows into U.S. stocks has been consistent. Even this week with the market down, you had 4.6 4. billion of inflows in the U.S. Uh, large caps. So that's the, to, you know, on the total market, you're still seeing inflows. You didn't really have any big in, big outflow weeks the whole year. Um, the, the the interesting thing for me is that there's money going into the large caps all the time as safety, but coming out of credit all the time. So it's been a consistent theme. Money out of credit as a risky area, but money into U.S. large caps as a safe haven. And um, the other interesting part, which is relevant to our positioning, because you know I've, I've been long energy, short tech, you know, very vocally for the last six months. The the positioning around energy versus tech is actually still quite benign. So, even this week, there was no inflow into energy, zero, yet on the. U.S. large caps, and the U.S. Uh, large caps, you had 4.6 billion. Then on the U.S. growth versus value, you had no no inflow on the U.S. growth as a sector, but you had 2.5 billion outflow in value. So, you know, when people talk about, oh, energy is overbought hey. or, you know, values is overbought, it's not that shrub. much money
0: coming in. Shrub, shrub. Do you know how excited Marcellus is getting? He's right next to you. Marcellus.
9: I know.
3: Do you, I know. Do you
0: want to comment on this, Marcellus? Salas, do you want
3: to comment on this? All all I can say is this entire space has been music to the entire comms. You know, so many people are saying, oh, you're middle of the game. You're in this like sixth or seventh inning. And I just keep telling people, we're very, very still. Whenever I hear Shrub give out this this data, it's just like, uh, you know, the the angels are singing from the heavens above. You
0: know what's so amazing about this? because i don't consider you two guys in the same echo chamber i mean listen was it it was just you and so with the mutual affirmation society and say all right forget it these guys just believe own bullshit here's shrub sharp guy from monaco the other side of the world and he's like he couldn't make you happier if he tried and he's just
3: he's just he's just speaking truth um, i'm 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 a very very uh avid follower of shrub and 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 you know, uh, Trader Pamplona and that that whole crew—they're they're they're, uh, excellent guys. And by the way, thanks, Shrub
0: for all you guys is a must-follow. And Shrub, you and I were back channel talking before. We're going to have you as a featured speaker sometime next couple weeks. I'm going to interview you because I I love great, fantastic. I I love 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 listening to you talk. Just just awesome. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Shrub, anything else top of mind you want to share with the room?
9: Now, look, I I think to the topic of. uh, this oil versus um, versus tech and uh, you know it's great listening to david and i'm just going to remember remind the, <laughs> to the most excellent uh, spaces you did with stan weinstein where we where he said something really really simple he said you know as long as it keeps working and the trend is there just stick to the trend right don't make it too difficult
0: <laughs> 100% 100% all right, so listen, we're, we're kind of – we're going to hours and 20 minutes. Dave's been really generous with this time. Um, we have a couple more speakers last ask questions. If anybody else wants to ask a question, please raise your hand. I see we've got uh, Alan Levinson who's hiding down there and he won't come up. Come on, Andrew, get your ass up here. Um, I do want to remind everyone, um, you know, this is all going for a good call. Central World Kitchen, go on my Twitter feed or the YouTube page or Carol Strone's um twitter feed there's a link there central world kitchens is doing god's work we make this room free um but you know like we're doing our part i want you guys to do your part and please give generously to central world kitchen the other thing i propose that we've now are in the process of up we create our own youtube channel where we've, we've uploaded i think half a dozen or so of the past episodes we're in the process of uploading all the other ones the youtube channel which will i think eventually morph into a web page Will be sort of a central repository where all these great talks will be housed. Things like Shrub, you just mentioned, Stan Weinstein—that's one for the ages. It's as relevant today as it was a week ago, and it'll still be relevant ten years from now. And so it's going to be a lot easier to access all this stuff. It's all going to be in one place. Now it's on a YouTube page. It'll be on, it'll be on a web page, and with that, there's also the link for um, the charity, and we also hope to set up a resource page so that. You know, when someone comes in, someone like Michael Hall or Jim Walker or whatever, they want to share, share a piece of research or whatever, they'll be able to drop it there. But again, you know, I think we have the best content of anybody in FinTwit or, or in the Internet. And, you know, I want to keep it free. But I also want to channel the energy of this room for the good. And I think you know, everyone give to the level of their means. Um, you know, if you got if you're a student, they have a negative net worth, 10 bucks rings does it for me. If you're worth 10 million bucks and figuring out what to do with your life savings, I mean, you do what you want to do. But if you don't cut a check for a thousand bucks, like you're nuts. I mean, just think of the value of the research you're getting in this room. Again, no personal benefit to me or Carol or anybody else here. Um, so, last, thing, last thing I would say apropos of that, um, please, please, please go to the YouTube page and follow follow the channel. That'll help us a lot with the YouTube people. Uh, we need more followers. I think we need to get to a thousand followers and I don't know, four thousand views or whatever it is before we can monetize. So we started the day at hundred and fifty. I think we're up to three hundred and thirty, so we're making good progress. But please, please, please follow the channel and tell everyone else you know to please
3: follow our channel. Um
0: all right, so Marcellus, I think you had a follow-up. Did you did you not? Or otherwise I'll go to somebody else. Marcellus, did you have a follow-up?
3: I just wanted to let you know that I did put Carol's uh, tweets up in the nest, too, if people need to, uh, you know, that's get those awesome. links.
0: That's awesome. That's that's awesome. Um, okay. Um, we're going to go to uh, Jeffrey. Uh, if you have a question for Dave McCoskey, uh I, I do want to stay away from macro spitball, and we've done enough of that here. So, Jeffrey, welcome to the room. Do you have a question for Dave? Uh,
8: not much. Not Not exactly a question. Just kind of. you you know, an idea. And I, and I love, I believe O'Hare is right on, and we've discussed this before. So is the smart money going to start to invest in the commodities and they could, because they're so under, under uh, owned by institutional investors, wouldn't they start to crowd the space? And that's when we can get out. I've I've always loved the idea of selling to smart money. Just, just a thought. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Most of them adopt adopted ESG policies. They're prohibited. They can't do it. So I I think that's that's a big problem for them. It's kind of like, you know, starting a a fund that's, you know, oriented towards growth or value. You know, they're going to have seven to eight years of sunshine and seven to eight years of of, you know, living it with with just the moon in the sky. And, you know, I think that's just one of the the aspects of market cycles. So I I think it's going to be really tough for for them to back up the truck or until it gets to, you know, 5% of the market or 7% can, you know, there are some neutral, you know, energy companies out there that claim that they, you know, utilize, uh, you know, drilling rigs with batteries on them. I mean, honestly, there are. So Um, we've highlighted a a few of them in the past. I I think they're out on our Twitter page that you'd be able to see one is CIVI and one is CVR that, you know, represent themselves as, you know, ESG type companies. Um, so I, I think, you know, in going back to that, that aspect of, you know, when, when are they going to come into it? I mean, you look at a chart, something like CLF or, you know, cliffs, um, you know, it broke through the support at 20, melted down to 16. Now it's at 33. I mean, with within, you know, less than a month. Um, people are starting to recognize that there's a problem in the material sector. And I think that we, we see that same type of action in energy at some point. And, you know, pinpointing the day is extremely difficult to, you know, say it's next week or a month from now. You know, if, if things go to hell in a handbasket in the market and we have a major sell-off, I,
8: I think it's going to take down everything um uh, david i, I can yes. i just add on to that because i've yeah. seen that here in california in fact we just read a, a piece uh, just last week about uh, some of the smaller foundations endowments uh, here in the in the state of california who moved out of uh, energy investments mining investments commodity related investments over the last decade and, and into more you know esg driven type policies and uh we were just reading something that a buddy of mine had put together and uh he, you know they they kind of pulled some of these smaller institutions and you're starting to see a little bit of percolation in the movement away from all esg at any price into more um you know into more of a, a open-mindedness about energy again and that's just starting it's not going to be a, a, a you know to your point it's not going to be an event it's it's going to be a process uh it's going to happen over time and i think the best what you're going to see is you're going to see as, as energy outperforms, as commodities outperform. If you're a CIO at CalPERS or Calsters, and you're sitting there, you know, meeting with your uh, investment committee and you're missing the boat quarter after quarter, after quarter, after quarter, and on the other side, your private equity investments that you put 10% of your fund in are now being marked down and your tech investments are being marked down. You're, you're all this other stuff that they've been in is being marked down. You've got to ask yourself a question. At one point you start to pull the trigger and, uh, you know, start to swing that pendulum the other way. And I think that's starting to slowly kind of happen. And, if you, and one other thing, too, a lot of people don't realize that the, the, the three largest energy companies in the world, right, Chevron, Exxon, Shell, uh, and many others, but the, the three largest, they spend billions of dollars on, on uh, ESG-type uh, uh, research every single year. So, you know, the most money that, that, that's spent in this space is actually by the hydrocarbon monsters like the three largest uh, companies. I mean, Chevron here in the Bay Area, they're literally have a whole lab set up to, to uh, you know, to 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 do all this R and D in uh, clean energy. You know, so I mean, to me, I think once that tide starts to shift, it's going to go pretty quickly, and it's just going to ramp. But I, I just want to touch on one other thing. Somebody was mentioning earlier about you know, these spreads in real estate as anecdotal you know, evidence of things kind of happening. That's absolutely right. But that's just one thing. I mean, we've, I've talked about on these spaces for the last few months about spreads widening all over the place. I mean, if you look at mezzanine loans, CMBS or, you know, uh, MBS or even high yield, those spreads have started to blow out. I mean, when you have bid and ask spreads starting to blow out, that is literally the indication that things are not good, right? When spreads are really tight, things are great when spreads start to widen out and they continue to widen out over weeks and months, that's an indication that there's a lot of uh, consternation under the surface. So I would just say people need to keep an eye on that.
0: Thanks for that out here.
8: All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, with that, I think we're going to draw some from the
0: close. We're going on two and a half hours. It's been a uh, great space. Dave Nikoski. Um, I, I, I thank you profusely for doing this. Um, I hope, You've enjoyed it and you've learned from a lot of the folks in the room. And I consider you a friend, a sharp cookie. I hope you'll consider coming back. Again, for those of you that are interested, uh, David can be reached at Dave at um, And I'm sure, you know, mention me you, you heard him in this room. I'll give you a special George deal, discount code George. Um, so at any rate, with that, um, I'd like to draw the room to a close. We'll be sure to have we're going to have uh, uh, we've got a lot of exciting things planned and the hits keep on coming. I can't tell you the momentum we're building. The number of uh, speakers I have lined up is going to blow you away. Um, so I think we've really created something very special here and I'd like to continue this. But again, I'm kind of there's an ask here. I'd like you to give the charity, not to me, but to charity. And I'd also like you to follow um, our YouTube channel. It's no bull market talk with george noble you can find it uh, uh it's in my twitter feed it's in carol's as well so with that everyone uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend uh thank you again david nikoski really appreciate it and uh, look forward to having you back again thank you everyone take care thank Have you george day. bye-bye thank you david thank you bye-bye bye thanks guys see ya. Thanks. bye bye